This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1593, the CGS Best of 2015 Nominations Show. I'm Shane Kelly. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Eberly. All right. Welcome to the show. I'm sitting here listening to the music, forgetting that we say that in the middle of the music. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> oh, crap. As I know. It's, it's a habit that you need to you know, really work yourself into. Yeah. <laughs> I, for one, brothers, is, are is very pleased to be in the studio once again. I are is as well. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I haven't been here since December, so it's... I haven't it's, been on an episode in a coon's age. A coon's age? It's, it's been a while. <laughs> it feels like a coon's age. I love when you get rustic on <laughs> Well, back in the, in the bayou. Fantastic. Uh, right. <laughs> the Berks County Bayou. Yeah, yeah, the creek behind the studio. <laughs> uh, well, we are gathered here this evening, friends and associates, to discuss the serious business of bestowing the accolades of our Comic Geek Speak organization upon the creme de la creme of the comics industry of the recently concluded year 2015. So we've all, uh, well... Um, most, most of us. Mo- most, yeah, yeah, sorry, <laughs> Shane. Yes, uh, no, no, that's fine. Yeah, we've... Uh, most of us have uh, <laughs> uh, put together our lists of nominees for what the, the people, uh, titles, uh, concepts, etc., that we think uh, defined... This past year in comics, the listeners have done their part and um, emailed in, dutifully emailed in their uh, ballots of their list of nominees as well. And we've got it all put together and uh, we're ready to share the uh, findings with you in anticipation of the ultimate vote, which will be again open to you, the listeners, uh, in the coming weeks you know, to d- determine what are going to be the uh, winners of the uh, CGS Best of 2015 awards. I, uh, I, I bowed out of voting because I have read nothing but Star Wars. And Justice League titles. So I would nominate everything Star Wars and Justice League. <laughs> They're both great, and it's it's really about the only thing I'm buying currently. I'm hoping that changes in the near future. But, yeah, I'm, I'm down to about 10 books a month right now. You're hoping to be uh, not saving as much money? I'm, I'm hoping I, – I don't mind the saving of the money. I'm hoping to be wooed to read a couple other things. Um, there, well, perhaps no, some of these, these ideas will give you uh... – and, and that could be too, which, which I'm excited about. I'm going to yeah. vote for sure, and, and I'll look up stuff that, that everyone mentions. I mean the listeners alone always give me some great stuff to go, um, go pick up and read that I never thought of or, or missed. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it just as much as anybody. You know, maybe we'll return to that topic in a second here, Shane. But uh, okay. first, let's uh, uh, give some thanks to our sponsor here for this episode, uh, which is the Collection Drawer Company, uh, whose website can be found at the URL collectiondrawer.com. They are the producers of the ever popular drawer box storage system, which is similar to the familiar design of the cardboard comic storage long box, except that instead of having a lid that lifts off the top, of the box. Uh, it is accessible via a drawer that pulls out of the front of a box. It's like a square cardboard sleeve with a square drawer that fits into it. Uh, it makes it – it's very handy for storing many boxes of uh, comic books, one on top of the other, uh, with the 
uh, ease of access retained for the bottom-most row of boxes. You don't need to move boxes around to reach the comics in the bottom because you can just pull the drawer out the front of the boxes on the bottom without having to lift a lid off the top. It, it, it makes uh, managing a large collection of comics infinitely easier. Let me tell you that from personal experience. And I second that uh, testimony, my friend, because I've never owned – I've had some of them in my store over the years when people turned in collections. Um, in terms of transportation, storage, endurance – they can't be beat. And, oh, you know, they, they are sturdy. They always talk about how you could have them stacked several high and then sit on top of them. I've seen that done. That is not hyperbole. That is actually true. So, I mean, I wouldn't you know, stack you know, 10 and then try to stand on top of them or anything like that. But it, if you're still a lover of floppies as I am, this is the ultimate uh, storage system. So, kudos. Yeah. And if you've got other things besides comics that you'd like to store using a similar system, well, they also offer drawer boxes sized for LP records, magazines, sewing paraphernalia, action figures, and they also offer um, accessories to make uh, the uh, long, long box yeah, drawer boxes fit together a little better. Uh, they're the box locks. They're uh, dividers you can get that uh, you know, separate one section of your collection from another. Uh, there's a whole range of accessories available for your perusal at collectiondrawer.com. Tell him CGS sent you. Indeed. I want to point out to everybody that Shane just lifted up his, <laughs> his fleece to reveal a, a light blue Superman shirt with sigil. Oh, under, that's under, what he was flashing. It was, yeah, it was under, yeah, yeah, it wasn't moment. the lower no, belt. It was sorted, the upper. Nothing sorted. Um, it's it an Under Armour Superman moment. shirt yes. that I got. I pick them up whenever – if I find them and I'm allowed – and I say allowed because they're, they're not the cheapest things in the world. But um, I know the Superman blue one was on clearance, which I snagged uh, in a heartbeat. Um, I'm not fond of non-traditional colored things, so it, to me it should be the dark blue with the mm-hmm. red and yellow. But, heck, clearance is clearance, and I'll take a Superman shirt if it's cheap enough. So nice Under Armour Superman shirt underneath the nice mm-hmm. Nike fleece right now. Zounds, it's good to see Shane again. <laughs> it's been a long time. As warm right now as if you were soaking up the rays of a yellow sun. That's right. <laughs> I'm beaming. <laughs> And uh, Brother Murder, I want to attest how much I look forward to this. I'm so glad you renewed this tradition uh, a couple of years ago. It's it's immensely fun. Happy to do it to, Chris. to revisit the entire year and you know the highlights of it. Yeah. So it's always one of it, it, in and of itself is one of the highlights of my comics reading. Yes, just to be able to reflect back on uh, everything that we enjoyed in the the year gone by. And I love or everything that I look forward to enjoying you know, <laughs> 15 years hence. And I love seeing what the listeners have chosen. Mm-hmm. So oh, well, that too shall be revealed. Indeed, let, let us turn to the masters of ceremonies. Ah, but before we All reflect right. back oh. on the past, you know, I'm going to take a suggestion that Brother Shane made a little while oh, ago. Okay. Before we turn our well, reflect upon the past, let's uh, turn our attention to the future for a little bit. Okay. Here. You know, speaking of things that may possibly bring you to buy a few more comics uh, in That's 2016. True. That's Shane. true. Um, let's take a bit to address uh, a recently released news item. Ah, yes. Uh, from the uh, DC Entertainment Machine. Yeah. Uh, the upcoming uh, event, Rebirth. Yes, very much so. Um, I, you, I guess a few weeks ago we saw different blurbs come out of just the the blue panel saying Rebirth, and I'm like, oh god, another event. <sighs> I'm, I'm evented out. I could care less about yet another reboot. <laughs> I know you're re- pretty jaded when it comes to events. Oh, I, especially I, when I'm the end. Terribly, terribly <laughs> jaded. Um, but the more articles I've seen recently, and yesterday's announcement of titles, not creative teams yet, but titles, uh, has me quite interested. Not only are things like action comics and detective comics going back to original numbering, which, you know, no big feat unto itself, but to me that's kind of cool. I, I mean, appreciate when they respect the history I, like that. I do too. Yeah. Um, not too keen on everything else restarting with another number one. Because um, that always works. That, it always <laughs> works. 
um, to much to everyone's dismay. It's but working so well for Marvel, they seem to do it twice a year, at, at least <laughs> twice a year. Which is why I haven't read much Marvel lately because I'm just bogged down and tired of all the relaunching, restarting, and number ones. Um, I'm very interested in DC taking a stance and saying all of these books, no matter what, are two ninety nine a month, an issue. Now, some books are being shipped twice a month. Some books are monthly, and that's okay. Um, so they're returning to the mantra of holding the line at two ninety nine. I, I guess so, in a, in in a, a way. Yeah, way. without yeah. saying that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how I took it. Um, hopefully it sticks around for quite a while because I, I have to wonder if if DC didn't look at their numbers and say, well, we're sure not making a lot of money. We're sure not producing a lot of books. Maybe cost is part of it. I don't know that. I haven't read anything about that. I that's just I think that's fair conjecture. My own. I mean, it's a business speculation. So. And to go back to two ninety nine makes me go, huh? I could spend a few more dollars and read some stuff that's not nearly as expensive as it was six months ago yeah. or a month ago, whatever it is. Um, I expected the, what, what's come out is is um, was it June, July, and August, or June, July, and the fall. Lots of. Rebirth number one issues will come out, and then a number one issue for that respective title right, will so, follow. So it'll be a rebirth special, mm-hmm. and then a number one issue. Yeah, for a lot of these properties, and and that's also fine. I kind of expected it. I, I kind of uh, attributed or, or related to the issue zeros that have come out for so many years, right. being the first ones. That's a fair analogy, and and that's fine too. Um, I would have liked it if. This, instead of being all number ones, would have seen some of the other books go back to original number. Now, are they maintaining New 52 continuity? That we don't know. Okay. It's possible. It seems likely to me from from Jeff Johns' remarks that their intent is not to do yet another continuity reboot, but simply to – he said that uh, their their main objective here, as as he sees it, is to uh, reestablish legacy. To the DC universe, he sees that okay. as one thing that was lost, at, you know, as it will be when you restart history from square one. Right, right. And, so we're and, just going to see what he thinks legacy means here in the post-flashpoint uh, milieu, and probably thinking that at that time that was a great way to do it. And, and you know, we were all interested to see what would happen when that new fifty-two launched in a in a universe that was five years ago this September. Yeah, right. Clean yeah. slated away and starting from scratch. You know. I actually thought it wouldn't have been a bad idea, much like, um, oh, my God, Marv Wolfman did back in Crisis when that ended, that mm-hmm. everything should have restarted back then with a the number one. So that was his plan, yeah. Yeah, kind of interesting. Um, some of the things that caught my eye, and uh, I, I know we'll talk about it more when we hear creative teams, when they're solicited, that kind of stuff. But I was interested that there's going to be a Nightwing, but no Grayson. So I kind of figured Grayson's going back into the Nightwing costume. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, I guess, because Batgirl's been hitting it on all cylinders. I haven't read um, the last couple of years of it. I, I have a bunch of it, but That's I haven't right. read it. Yeah, there's a Batgirl series and a Batgirl and the Birds of Prey yeah. series. How about that? Um, I'm glad to see Batman Beyond is still around. I haven't been enjoying that book, although I am way behind on that. Um, the first few issues that I read, I, I did like, and I liked the character playing Batman. I'm not going to say who for anybody who didn't read it. Um the one thing that really has me stoked, not only is there Justice League books coming back out, which I'll get those uh, even if they're a, a turd on a, on a pile of nothing. I like when you say crap on a crack. Crap on a crack. Okay. God, that's what I was trying to get out. Turd on a pile of nothing is a um, flair to it as well. God, that was bleak. I like, uh, I like the announcement, although I don't think it's in this list. The Justice Society is getting a book again at some point um, in this whole 
release. I do see an Earth 2 series. There is an Earth 2, but I think Justice Society is its own separate book, separate of Earth 2, <laughs> is the way I took the little blurb I read. Um, but, uh, you know, again, we don't know for sure. But really, really, really interesting me. <laughs> and watching the video with Jeff Johns through both of these characters on the screen when talking about it, so that piqued my interest more, is Blue Beetle gets a number one. Oh, and wow, a rebirth. Shane. That's and right. We did see Jaime Reyes and Ted Kord next to each other, didn't we? That right. was one of the images. That was one of the images. So that really piqued my Any interest. Any talk of Booster Gold? No, not okay. in this. And um, hopefully that will come. I've been – when I've read Justice League, I, I've been reading Justice League JLA and Justice League 3001, 3000 – yeah, 3000, 3001. I love that book. I have such a fun time reading that book. It's it's well-written, fun stories, and it doesn't hurt that Booster and Beetle have been in those as well. So um, that's that's part of my excitement for seeing Blue Beetle come up. And I can only hope that at some point Booster Gold shows up or he gets another series or something. I mean, you, uh, it seems weird to me that they had a Booster Gold series without Blue Beetle, even though he showed up for a while. And now you're having the opposite. I, I, I want them back together. Put them on a team again. Um, or, or just a team-up book. God, give me a Brave and the Bull book with both of them again. Ooh, like they should have. But, yeah, this has me a little bit more jazzed than I have been in a long time. Now, again, we know nothing about creative teams. We know nothing about the status quo of anything or what universes these are set in or how many New 52. or We know nothing, and that's fine. Um, it just happened that they announced this yesterday, and... I got excited about it for the first time in, in a long time. Well, that's so saying something. I'm, I'm hoping that at least some of these titles look interesting enough to, to bring me back to getting a few more. And and again, the price point of two ninety nine doesn't hurt because oh, even though that's more expensive than exactly what the opposite it was ten years ago, that's still better than what it was than the direction it was heading in the last two years. So I'm I'm happy to give it a try and see what they do. They they have piqued my interest just on the price point alone is a help. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to trying it for the same reasons. Um, and, I, I mean, I made no bones about the fact that I, I found the New 52 uh, rapidly deflating in terms mm-hmm. of, I, I think, its interest for me and its potency. And and, I, and one thing I'd like to hear about is legacy because I think one of the great, the great weaknesses of the New 52 is there is no legacy no. really. Yeah. And it made me care less and less about all these characters as those series progressed. Yep. Um, again, I, I'll be a little cynical Oh, absolutely. You know, re- absolutely. Re- reboots in general for me, oftentimes, especially in these time, in these economic times, there's a whiff of desperation to them. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I hope that's not the case here. Same here. Um, but, you know, so, as someone who who's, owns a comic shop, I, I mean, you know, floppies are hurting. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm not going to get into – we talked about that many times, all the different economic and technological mm-hmm. aspects of right. why I think they're in – an endangered species. But if we were still doing the most important news of 2015 as yeah. a best of category, I think the Wild Pigs announcement that it will no longer carry new comics on its shelves would have been right up there. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're, you're blowing our significance out of proportion, <laughs> sir, but I appreciate that. Well, in the CGS universe, <laughs> I appreciate that. That's a, that's a crisis level of And that. by the way, yeah. so we started that in November, and I can report to everybody we're doing just fine. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was not. A blow to us. We may have lost a couple of random walk-in people, but you can't base orders around random walk-in yeah, people. Yeah, you have to that, go with what yeah, you know, brings it, it in it, every month. We're doing great with the used comics and trades, and the new trades still slow. You know, sell, excuse me, slowly, but they still do. But new comics were – and it pains me to say this because, you know, 
my God, I love comic books. But you still have subscribers. Oh, oh, yeah. We have have, absolutely always going to help out our subscribers, but the wall was really hurting us. Yeah. Understandable. That's valuable real estate. Yeah, Yeah, this is semi-exciting to say, but uh, (laughs) um, uh, the idea of the restoration of legacy is certainly uh, intriguing, although, as I said, we'll have to see what uh, Jeff Johns and his editorial buddies uh, think the restoration of legacy means or or can mean in this hole they've dug for themselves now. Uh, There's going to be a big 80-page, I think, uh, Rebirth number 1 special that Johns himself will write, right about the same time he steps off the Justice League title. So he's going to be backing away from writing comics for a bit to focus more on the development of other media, I think. But I'm glad it was a classy movie of his and a smart one to get on camera himself and uh, reassure the DC nation as it were that uh, about what this was all going to be about that this was less an event than a, a new mission statement for DC Comics to restore this uh, concept of intergenerational legacy and history to these comics um, however I would find it a lot easier to take this whole thing in uh, the good faith that it's in which it's ostensibly intended uh, and offered uh, if it weren't uh, couched in this massive, uh, you know, market dump, uh, market flooding event thing, in which we're suddenly inundated with all these different uh, rebirth specials and the relaunching of, of the comics with number one issues, which we've already addressed, would be, yeah, it would be better if they either renumbered everything, devil restored everything to its pre-flashpoint numbering, not just action and detective, though it's a good move that they're doing that. Yeah, yeah. Although, as Shane and I discussed before we began recording, that's mainly so that they can make the push to have the first. First number oh, one thousand issue why they're doing it, of the yeah. big two, and you know some of these comics are being published on a twice monthly basis. Yeah. You can bet those are going to be among those are. to they get are. to the number one thousand milestone that much quicker. Mm. So it, it's the, the cynic in me is uh, sort of uh, snapping in its mm-hmm. pen, um, <laughs> but it, it, it's it, it's still nice to see them acknowledging that something they're doing is not really working very well. I mean, it, in the wake of convergence, the whole DCU. Uh, in, oh, I debacle? I wouldn't call it a debacle. I, I was going to call it something more like a uh, movement, uh, an initiative. Initiative is probably the best way to put it. Uh, they said they were going to try to move away from having close co- intertitle continuity and allowing each title to be its own thing and its own little pseudo-universe. And now it seems they're backpedaling from that pretty quickly and uh, doing something more cohesive and uh, more well, uh, continuity and legacy-oriented. So now is, is that could take um, any one of I'm a number sorry. of different forms, oh, yeah. but uh, yeah. we'll just wait and see. And right. I'm, well, as we like to say, cautiously optimistic. Yes. And of, I, of course, I said the same thing about Convergence last year, and uh, that was – we got some good stories out of it, but yeah. still kind of a mixed blessing and in the end something of an ineffectual fizzle. So let's just see if this sound and fury will signify something. This now, time are we to understand that Johns is the creative architect of all this I and think not he corporate is. people? Uh, well, there's an argument to be made that uh, John's uh, deserves to be classified as corporate one of the latter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's sort of like he's the bridge between the creative. Okay. Because I think he's a fine writer, and, and if he's the, the one helming this, director of the whole well, company these days. I don't quite remember, and we talked about it briefly before. But correct me if I'm wrong. In his video, didn't he say that he's looking at the DC universe and seeing something missing? That and that's was, part of this mission statement. That's going to be like the central conceit of the uh, the rebirth special that he's writing. Okay. A mystery narrator is going to be observing the planet Earth and saying, I love That's this world, right. but there's something, something missing. missing. That's right. So Thank there's you. your moment of meta text there from John's right yeah. on the first page of this special. 
I look forward to reading it. Where yeah. he goes from there. We'll discuss it. Yeah. Who is Who the knows? speaker? What is actually missing? And how will it be restored? This is all what we're going to have to read to find out. Yeah. It may end up being our off-the-rack pick for that month. And, and probably and, be crazy not to. I agree. And it, and it may crash. You know, after issue one's my, oh, this is the same rhetoric we've already read. Nah, no thanks. But I'm I'm excited to at least see what comes out and read the articles as they of come course. out. See the creative teams. Um there's there's some good stuff happening that that I know of from reading different articles, so I, I'm excited to see how they fit into this new universe. So, just something that's somewhat more exciting than it has been. Isn't it great, ladies and gentlemen? Hear Shane's sonorous tones on the, <laughs> the mic again. They've been much missed. Yeah, <laughs> they, they've been missed being here. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's nice to take a break. Basketball right. season doesn't last forever. Oh, no, it it sure feels it. Master of ceremonies. All right. Let the curtains part. <laughs> Let the velvet rope be taken down. <laughs> it's time for us to get down to business and discuss, reveal our nominations for the best of 2015 in comics as per CGS. 16 categories, and we've got a list of nominees here. Chris has got his. I've got mine. And Danny, uh, Danny O'Brien sends her regrets, everyone. Uh, she, uh, uh, she had a social engagement. She was going to go to dinner with her mother and some family friends, and this was the only night they could schedule it. So she apologizes, but she sent in her list of nominees and some uh, comments thereon. Hail number one. Hail number one, indeed. And I've also got, of course, um, the nominations submitted by listeners, and I want to give you know, sincere and profuse thanks to everyone who participated in this year's nominations process. Uh, thanks to the hiccups we've had with our forums, which are now relocated uh, to thecomicforums.vanillaforums.com. Um, voter turnout suffered a little bit this year, but still, we got a decent turnout. Several dozen people submitted ballots, and I want to give thanks to everybody who did that, and uh, particularly to those who nominated somebody in each of the 16 categories. It was not required, so thank you for going above and beyond the call of duty because it did make it much, that much easier for me to collate the results. Um, so, um, may I do the honors of uh, offering my first nominee? Of course, my friend. Okay, the first category of our 16 categories here is Best New Hero or Team, Best Single Heroic Character or Group of Heroic Characters Introduced During the Year 2015. And um, right out of the starting gate, I'm going to a non-Big 2 series, one that was taken from us a little too soon, I believe. Um, uh, characters that were introduced to us in the first issue of a series that we chose as an off-the-rack pick this year. Um, it's Jay Ferber's Secret Identity oh, okay. from Image Comics. It uh, lasted uh, a mere seven issues before being brought to an unceremonious end by the, uh, the harsh gods of sales figures. And uh, so he, uh, Jay didn't get a chance to develop these characters and do as much with them and the uh, skeletons in their closets as he had wanted to. Uh, but uh, the, the main characters of this series, and these are my nominees for uh, the best new hero of the year, is a team called The Frontline. They're pretty clearly uh, their universe's analog to the Avengers or the Justice League. They're the, the super group, like the, the alpha-level uh, super team. Uh, it's a group of seven, since you know, that, that seems to be the uh, standard pantheonic number for, for superhero teams. Um, uh, so you've got the daughter of the President of the United States, who gained her powers from uh, alien benefactors. You've got a couple of beings from, uh, well, apparently ancient Greek and Rome, uh, whose origins are not what they've claimed to be or what uh, they uh, have told people they remembered them to be. Uh, you've got a, a struggling stand-up comedian who moonlights as a, a superhero, who calls herself Punchline, yuck, yuck. Um, <laughs> there's an uh, 
alien uh, ninja fighter or a samurai warrior, I should say. Her name is uh, Gaijin, I think, and uh, she has ties to the Japanese mafia. Uh, there's a super speedster who's two-timing his family. He's got two different wives and two different sets of kids on two different coasts. As only you, know, you thought uh, raising one family was tough. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> you have super speed. You can get away with two apparently as long as nobody finds out. And a Batman the Shadow you know, pulp vigilante type analog with a spider theme who's also uh, a, a form of vampire and uh, preys on the criminals that he fights and captures. And uh, thrown into the mix is another character called Crosswind who shows up and uh, joins the team. He uh, manipulates events so that he's able to get on their roster for the express purpose of learning all these dirty little secrets of theirs. And each member of the team has something that he or she wants to keep secret from the world. This Crosswind person is going in there to infiltrate the team, learn their secrets, and expose them to the world and bring them down. And it's an interesting group of characters with uh, interesting power sets, interesting designs, and uh, you know, the, the, the little secrets that they're trying to keep hidden are equally interesting. And the motivations of Crosswind and uh, the, 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 the machinations that he's trying to put into place and how he begins questioning himself uh, as, as the, his plot progresses. It's, it, it made for an interesting – I'm using that word an awful lot, but I'm just trying to underscore how – Interesting, I found this comic book and how sorry I am that it lasted as short as a, a time as it did. Uh, it, it gave us a cool bunch of characters, you know, flaws and all. The fact that these flaws were built into them from the ground up made them that much more interesting to read. Um, and, and I'm just kind of generally a fan of analogs of uh, the Avengers and Justice League as it sure. is. But these, it's kind of like a group of Astro City characters put into a slightly different setting uh, with a slightly different and uh, you know, twisted – uh, bent to their portrayal, you know, since uh, Jay Ferber, the writer, was setting them up to uh, for their destruction, um, you know, for for the eventual exposure of their dirty secrets to the world. Uh, so I liked that book a lot. It it, it resonated uh, strongly with the, the the Bronze Age fan in me, since it felt a little bit like Bronze Age storytelling to me. Uh, and I wish we could have seen more of them, but uh, I'm going to give them a, a fitting epitaph here by uh, inscribing them in the annals of the CGS Best of Awards as my nominee for Best Hero of the Year. Good deal. All right. Now, my selection is a slight cheat because this person for, uh, debuted right at the very end of 2014, but they got their own book in 2015. So I hope you allow me to proceed along those lines. Cause that's, yes. Um, the person I chose uh, was Sam Wilson as Captain America. Uh, and the reason I chose that is because I'm really impressed with how – they're taking his character and they're really establishing very clearly that this is Sam Wilson as Captain America, not Steve Rogers. He's his own man, and he's he's taking a more politicized approach to being Captain America, um, and he's bringing his own experience as the Falcon, as an African-American, as a social worker, as a former criminal. All that's kind of being brought into his perspective on what it means to be Captain America, and I, I've really been enjoying um, – how they've been approaching his approach to being this iconic figure. And I've really immensely been enjoying his series because he's struggling with – first of all, he and Steve Rogers are at odds right now. Um, I think they're going to they're gonna explore that in that, that Marvel Pleasant – what is that thing coming out? Uh, Avengers standoff, standoff yeah. at uh, Pleasant Hill, I yeah, think. Yeah, they're going to they're pursue – they're going to approach the, the troubles in their dynamic right now. But part of their, their issues are, are, about, are about politics and how Sam is – you know, kind of politicizing what it means to be Captain America in terms of his 
he's not necessarily playing ball with the government and a, not that Steve Rogers always did either, but he's and he's really focusing on you know let's say the ninety nine percent so to speak. And I, they're very much rooting, and I think that I think this should always be the case with a character like Captain America, and they've certainly done this in the past. They're rooting him in what's going on in our country right now, and having him address that and try to navigate that. And I, I've, I think it's been thoroughly well done. And uh, for me, he's 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 the, the new hero of, of uh, 2015. Nice. I have uh, the first volume of that to yeah. read. It's well done. All right. And Danny's nominee for this category is. Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. Ah! Which is a group of characters, alternate reality type characters, introduced as part of the Secret Wars, War Zones uh, event or event spinoff. It's uh, Carol Danvers uh, and a bunch of female aviators. There's a, a group called the Banshee Squadron, but affectionately nicknamed the Carol Corps. So it's kind of like Blackhawks starring Carol Danvers and a bunch of uh, female pilots. So, good choice, Danny. And the listeners. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, after spending all these hours <laughs> last night collating the results, I certainly do not want to forget the listeners. Uh, and as soon as I can get my computer to do what I want it to do, I will tell you who the listeners have chosen. Okay, it's actually a three-way tie from the listeners. Right. It's going to be uh, some of that happening on, the, on this ballot because mm-hmm. uh, there's there's not there's that much consensus. Um, so uh, with... Uh, the three winners uh, from the listeners are uh, Ant-Man Security Solutions, which is the uh, private consulting firm that Scott Lang put together in the Nick Spencer-written Ant-Man series involving himself and uh, the Grizzly. And uh, then also we have The Ultimates, you know, the latest uh, permutator iteration of that group. And Huck from Mark Miller's Huck. That's a book you're enjoying. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's like a – it's a, a being with a person with Superman-like powers, but he's fairly, for want of a better word, simple. He's a simple soul. I mean, he's he's not uh, mentally challenged or anything like that. But he just uh, he lives in his small town and does little good deeds uh, for people. He's kind of like the the, the secret Santa or the the the. the uh, the guardian angel of every – he finds things that are lost. He uh, takes up people's garbage and he, he, he did little, little stuff like that. He just li- uses his powers for little good deeds and then a reporter comes along and exposes him to the world and uh, the six-issue series shows what happens to his life uh, in the wake of that. You know, it's one of the more heartwarming and uh, uh, likable, you know, l- less caustic things that Mark Miller has done in comics lately. Who, who produces that? Uh, it's from Image. Okay. So, also good choices, listeners, especially, well, for my personal taste, Huck. All right, second category, then, will be the best new villain or team of villains introduced during 2015. Chris, would you like to go first this time? Thank you, brother. I chose, and Shane, you'll appreciate this, Dr. Afra nice. from the Darth Vader comic. She is a minion or, or agent of Vader that he is employing in sort of his... Uh, his machinations against really the not only the re- rebellion but also the emperor. Yeah, and <laughs> she's almost like this dark cosmic version of Indiana Jones. Like she's a archaeologist, an adventurer. Um, she employs these brutal uh, protocol droid who revels in torture. 
Um, and then, and then his astromech droid is like this, this other like torture machine. I mean, it's darkly funny in some ways because yeah. like you see this mirror opposites like R two D two and C three PO. Yep. And and she reminds you of Han Solo. It's like her her, you know, sort of her swagger and so forth. And she's ruthless and she's not a good person. No, no. <laughs> um, but she's a very entertaining and well written villain because you're also appreciating the fact that she knows that Vader is. Like with with Darth Vader, everybody's an expendable asset, and mm-hmm. she knows this. And it's fun to watch to read her trying to navigate this dynamics that Vader still needs her and won't kill her. And she almost has almost a kind of a flippant relationship with him. Like she says things like "Whoa," yeah, kind of the way anybody else to, would say that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's tolerating her thus far. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say he has affection for her because no. I don't know if Vader is capable of that really at this point. But it's a fascinating dynamic because usually when you think of Darth Vader and, and minions, it's just people he, like he chokes that guy because he failed him. <laughs> the, the stormtroopers just his faceless legions. This is a distinct personality who is working with him and for him, mm-hmm. and is as much as one can, a sort of is forming kind of a relationship with him. And I don't mean that romantically, just like having no, a relationship yeah. with Darth Vader. Understood. And it's fascinating. Yeah. So she's, she's my, my pick for a uh, new villain. That's a good one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Danny's pick for best new villain of the year. Um, it's Valeria. Uh, and uh, Danny isn't sure whether uh, she goes by Von Doom or Valeria Richards in uh, the alternate reality from which Danny took her. But uh, the Valeria daughter of, uh, of Sue Storm. Uh, as seen in the Runaways Battle, Battle World miniseries, another oh, Secret Wars that. spinoff. Okay. So apparently she's the heavy in that. And uh, uh, Comic Book DB says Valeria Von Doom. So we're going to go with that. Very well. So Valeria Von Doom from Runaways Battle World. And for myself, um, I uh, went, looked to Gotham City for my choice. <laughs> um, I, I started to tell Shane this before we started recording. Uh, the, the one thing that brought me back to Scott Snyder's uh, Batman title this year, you know, in the wake of the whole Zero Year thing and Jim Gordon donning the Batsuit, which neither Shane nor I were really that happy about. Um, but uh, an interesting new villain was uh, advertised in, uh, in their preview solicitations for issues of the Batman ongoing. That villain is named Mr. Bloom. And uh, I, I can't say the name without thinking of the Fleetwoods. I'm Mr. Blue. <laughs> Wahoo, when I menace Gotham, Mr. Blue. Yeah, so. Is that what he does on page? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. He croons. That's, <laughs> he's a lounge flower. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's this uh, naturally mysterious figure. He's a uh, gaunt and spindly of form. Apparently, he, he has certain powers of elast- elasticity. He stretches a little bit. He seems to be able to regenerate his body, but he's uh, – uh, I actually did a little bit of background research into Scott Snyder's process for creating the character, and he said he wanted to – Go back to to thinking about life in an urban environment, the big city like Gotham or New York City, which is where he grew up apparently, and thinking about uh, the sorts of things that really scared him about living in a place like that and uh, try to adapt a new character to that environment uh, that a contemporary Batman might be able to fight. And so he thought about a weed as a a thing that pops up between the cracks in blighted urban areas. Uh, When things start going wrong in a city, they always seem to be present to take advantage of the situation. So we ended up with a weed-themed character, this uh, (laughs) difficult-to-kill person uh, who's uh, kind of a... Ah, kind of a serene personality until somebody rubs him just the wrong way, and then he starts extending razor-sharp fingers through their chests. Um, And his deal is he's uh, dealing these cybernetic 
seeds, these little pellets that uh, give people superhuman powers uh, at the expense of drastically shortening their lifespan to a matter of, I think, a couple of days. And so he's doing this to destabilize the entire structure of civilization in Gotham City. He's become disillusioned with the way things are in this town. Apparently he's lived there for some time. His identity is still a mystery. Um, And he's uh, just working to reduce – he's encouraging – Social atomization and self-interest in Gotham citizens, and he's trying to – he's urging them on to just look out for number one and break down the entire social contract that binds Gotham as city and community, and uh, he wants to take advantage of the chaos then. So he's destabilizing everything from uh, you know, the, uh, the civic government right on down to organized crime. He's gone up against the Penguin. Um, so he's, he's, he's cool, he's mysterious, he's got a definite agenda, and you know, the, the coolest and creepiest thing about it is that if you listen to the rhetoric that he spouts, y- you almost find yourself going along with it. So you know, that's, that's a pretty effective villain who can even convince the audience, or at least he convinced this reader. Uh, so yeah, and, and pl- just in general, it's nice to see somebody trying to be proactive and constructive and introducing a brand new and solid member to the Batman rogues gallery. Mr. Bloom is a character that I can see other writers actually finding uses for in the future. I, I think he, he's built to be strong, and he's got a good solid theme to him. He's, he's, he's a great visual. He's uh, all in black with those creepy long fingers of his and this image of a, like a sunflower on his face. He's wearing this mask that covers his entire face. This isn't Louis the Lilac we're talking about. Here. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's – nice. Greg Capullo said that he found an image of a flower with a, the, the center of which kind of looked like it had rows of concentric teeth on it. It almost looked like he was carnivorous, like a carnivorous daisy. Yeah, yeah. So that was his inspiration for the floral symbol that Mr. Bloom wears on his face. So okay. Great design, great character idea, and it, it, it's built, it, it has its origins in real-life fears and concerns. I mean the, the, these are the ingredients for making a good and lasting villain. So I do give Mr. Bloom my nomination for best villain of the year. He's just – he's taken root in our list of nominations. As to the listeners, um, well – uh, Chris, there was a uh, a lot of them were thinking along the same lines that you were actually. Um, okay. um, a couple of them voted for Doctor Afra. Okay. A couple of them nominated uh, BT and BT One and Triple Zero, which are the astromech and uh, protocol droids who like to kill people. Uh, some of them <laughs> just voted for Triple Zero, the, the protocol droid. A couple of them voted. He, he's for, creepy. That droid. Yeah. Very creepy. A couple of people voted for all three of them. So. Um, uh, Chris, would you object to uh, adjusting your nomination slightly to include Dr. Afra and the two droids Not at collectively? All. Please, feel free. All right. Uh, so that, that was actually their first choice. So you will speak for them. All right. Uh, their second choice was Mr. Bloom. So I will speak for them. <laughs> so that leads us to our third choice for the listeners. Uh, and so the, the, the second runner-up becomes the listeners' nominee, and that is the aliens from Paper Girls. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, which uh, apparently they, they have – share your. That's a great series. Yes, the, the listeners do agree with you there, Chris, because yeah. uh, Paper Girls got a lot of nominations in a lot of categories. As it should. So there we go. Um, we've got uh, – uh, Vader's uh, vassals, Afra, BT-1, and Triple Zero, <laughs> Mr. Bloom, Paper Girls, Aliens, and Valeria Von Doom. All right. Uh, next category is Best New Comic, the first issue of which needs to have been shipped in 2015. Uh, we'll start with Danny's this time, and her nominee is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Love this book, says Danny. And you know what, Danny? So do I. And the cool thing is you can nominate it twice because they had two number one issues <laughs> in a single calendar year. I thought right. that. They even made a little joke about it. That's great. Only our second number one this year. 
<laughs> but that, that's the kind of humor you can find yeah. in a beatable squirrel girl. It's a great lighthearted read, appeals to you know, um, males and females. Uh, it, it, it's maybe skewed a little younger than the people sitting in this room, but uh, it, it, it's still quite enjoyable. It's written by Ryan North, who used to write the Adventure Time comic, and he brings that quirky sense of humor. He needed to write that over to that project, over to this project. So Danny's loving it. I'm loving it. So that is who Danny has nominated for Best New Comic of the Year. Uh, as for myself, um, oh, gee. Yeah, this is one where I hadn't quite settled on a decision yet. I've got a list in front of me. <laughs> um, but you know what? <laughs> Just thinking of – there aren't that many new comics that I'm really anxious to read month to month. But uh, forgive me if this is going to be stepping on your toes, Chris, and I hope you have a backup. But I'm going with Marvel Star Wars series. I, I chose something else, my friend. Ah, excellent. And that's – believe me, that Star Wars is a fine selection. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, for reasons that we've discussed at length on this program. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah the you know, the artwork's been great. I'm sorry John Cassidy wasn't able to keep up with it longer than he did, but uh, you know, he gave. I'll us take whatever Cassidy we can get. Mm. So, yes. you, know, you, you always go in with with that caveat. You know, yeah. it's not going to yeah. be that long. So, <laughs> Jason Aaron has given us some you know, great character development. Introduced some new characters to the mythos. Yeah. Even he's one of the most exciting writers in the field right now. Between that, Doctor Strange, Southern Bastards, Thor. I mean, he's knocking it out of the park. And now the goddamn too. So, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's he's, he's giving us some really excellent Star Wars stories. So, if you're both a comics fan and a film fan, this is a great time to be a Star Wars fan. Sure is. Thank you, Marvel. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, all other creators. It, it, it's a it's a great series to read. And uh, the the most the, the recent issue with the uh, young or youngish Obi Wan Kenobi awesome. hanging out on Tatooine. That was awesome. Awesome. One there have been two Obi-Wan issues. They've both been tremendous, yeah. what they've done. So that is my nominee. All right. Mine is a, a – actually, the first issue of this was an OTR back in 2015, Rebels by Brian Wood, uh, which has already ended. It was a 10-issue series. Uh, again, part of this is my love of history, but also because Brian Wood can basically write any genre and make it captivating. This is a book about different perspectives of different people involved in the American Revolutionary War era. And if you're a fan of that period in history or you just want to read a very engaging, compelling story about you know, sort of everyday people struggling to navigate that you know, epic, you know, world-changing event, read this book. Uh, the artwork is beautiful, uh, and Wood uh, – the man does his homework. I mean the, there's – the stories encompass both actual historical figures and you know f the more close-up, everyday, fictitious characters. He creates the protagonists of the stories. You look at it from the perspective of, of a, a soldier in the, the uh, Continental Army, a British soldier, an American Indian from the French Indian War era, women who are struggling to navigate the war as their husbands are away. Uh, it, it's, it's an outstanding, well-thought-out series and uh, considering you know capturing an historical era in a comic is never an easy thing and I, again i commend wood for just the guy can just do everything i mean you think of his his own star wars run which i know shane loved the last star wars title yeah. dark horse did which was yeah. phenomenal it was great uh his his northlanders his viking saga his conan work was tremendous um dmz uh dmz of course and uh the rebels was magnificent and even if you're not a big fan of history and you're like you're bored by the stereotypical teacher just spewed dates at you every day, which is a horrible way to teach it. <laughs> um, that's not what this book is. This is a book about people from in different walks of life and even from different societies all coming to terms with their role in the American Revolution. It's outstanding. 
And I think a trade of the whole thing is coming out relatively soon. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. so. Should be gracing classroom bookshelves across yes. the United States. Yes. That's my pick. As for the listeners, um, the, the big winner there was Paper Girls, actually. So that will be the Another great selection. listener's nominee there. Uh, other big vote-getters, uh, Doctor Strange was actually nipping at, great uh, at Paper Girls' heels. Uh, Darth Vader was another big one. And kind of a dark horse, Giant Days, which I think was a Boom Studios production. It's a testament to the 2015 that this is one of the toughest categories for me because mm-hmm. all the books you mentioned, uh, although I haven't read the last one, they're all great. So it was really hard for me to I, – I, I felt I came down with Rebels just because I, I just – it's so rare that you see an historical comic so well done. Yeah, that's that's but, much closer to your heart. Yeah, but that that this that was a tough category, Merton, and that's a good thing. Yeah. So, yep. as you say, it is a, a positive sign of the yeah. times. All right, I guess it's uh, my turn to go first again. Uh, so the next category will be best limited series of the year. Um, I decided to go a little off uh, the beaten path for this one and uh, throw a little bit of love to Valiant, Valiant Comics, because. Um, there was a, a limited series called – Jamie's smiling at you right now. Uh, <laughs> right back at you, big man. Um, the, it's the miniseries called The Valiant, actually, that uh, captured my interest because it had such a superstar creative team. And it was the combined creative juices of uh, Matt Kent and Jeff Lemire. I mean they, they co-wrote this thing. And uh, the artist was our old friend uh, – uh, our old friend whose name I suddenly blanked on, Pablo <sighs> – he, he painted uh, all those Marvel mythos issues. Pablo Rivera. There we pa- go. Paolo Rivera. Paolo, Paolo yes. Paolo. Jeez. Tremendous artist. Uh, it's, it's yes. bad enough that Merv forgets, I forget. He is a tremendous artist, and yes, it is bad enough that I forgot, Shane, because we've, we we know the man. Oh, yeah. We hung out it's with phenomenal. him in New York a couple of years ago. Uh, I still have, I have a Bizarro painting of his. It's I have my, a Doctor Doom painting in my store that he did. Mm. It's, it's, God, I love the way he does yeah. his – He just um, – he produces jewels. Draws at conventions. Oh, with the mirror. See him. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that whole rig. It's, it's fascinating yeah, to yeah. watch. Um, so we get uh, sort of the the rare instance of his doing an extended series. I mean, it, it was only like four issues, but still, the interiors were just lush and delicious to to see. Uh, the story itself was about uh, it's, it's about the Eternal Warriors and the Time Walker. Uh, so it was about uh, a new, uh, I think, a new Geomancer, I believe, who was selected. Uh, um, because in, in the Valiant universe, the Valiant mythos, there's a, uh, there are certain roles that are passed down. There are immortal brothers that walk through the ages. Um, uh, Armstrong of Archer and Armstrong is one of them. And uh, then there's the role of the Geomancer who is you know, selected – a new one is selected every generation. So it's about uh, a 21st century Geomancer being ordained, so to speak. She was a, like a PR person for a major corporation that was polluting the earth. So a little bit of irony there, and uh, a bunch of other characters show up, and uh, this whole conflagration occurs around this character as certain forces are trying to get to her and kill her before she gets a chance to do any good uh, with, with this new role she's achieved. And uh, it, it's just it, – it's a dream creative team, and it was a, a tale solidly told. I don't even care that much about characters like Time Walker, Geomancer, and the Eternal Warriors, but I had no choice but to care with a group of creators like that. It, it was – a very enjoyable, artistically, you know, visually, and narratively solid story, and I'm very pleased to give uh, you know this uh, bit of attention to the Valiant Universe, which I know has been kind of a refuge for people who are burned out on what the Big Two has been doing lately. So, the Valiant—that is my choice, my nomination. All right, my choice. Now, I struggle a bit with this category only because nobody refers to. The term limited series really anymore. They just kind of start series. It's hard. 
and you're not sure if they're ongoing. They're just going to end them at a certain point. Well, they do still so, use the term, but its definition is a little more fluid these yeah, days. Yeah, so it's, I, I it's went – retroactively applied sometimes. Yeah, I, I went with – uh, a book that began in 2014 but ended in 2015 per your, your uh, the criteria merge. Right. The last issue has to have shipped yeah. this year, and except for Secret Wars. We made a special exception. That, that was just after the new year. And yeah. this, was, this was a 12-issue series uh, and for me one of the best titles in general of the past few years, The Fade Out by the masterful team of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. I thought that was where you were going. Um, basically, this is a noir story about Late 1940s Hollywood, and there's a there's a murder mystery that that consumes this uh, Hollywood writer who is a veteran of World War II. He he has you know he has he has a dark past. He was caught up in, in the blacklist, the Red Scare that starts to in, consume Hollywood. Not him directly, but he he's tangentially involved because of a, a, another friend who's a writer. And you know that they really. I mean, you have to. If you have not read Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' work, Criminal, Incognito, Sleeper, um, uh, Fatal, no one in or working the genre today does noir better. And if you're a fan of films like L.A. Confidential, or you like old noir, like you know movies like with Robert Mitchum, you've got to read this book because first of all, no one does. Like a period genre like this better than Sean Phillips. The art is beautiful. It's eerie. It's chilling. I mean he nails the, the hairstyles, the fashion. Everybody's smoking. Everybody's drinking. You know that, And and also they, they really explore just the seedy underbelly of this film studio that the main the, – the protagonist, the main writer is involved in and you know, sort of its dark past and the various – there's a character's clearly patterned after Errol Flynn, for example um, – you know, there's, there's different female actresses, you know, who are clearly being uh, manipulated or, or used in different ways. And this this main character, who's like the classic sort of noir antihero, he's not necessarily the greatest guy on earth. He's not like you know this noble, strong person. He's clearly got PTSD from the, the Second World War. He's he's not that that's a, you know a character flaw, but it's just part of his burden. He he's he's a drinker. He he's he, he's got writer's block. He can't write anymore. And in fact, his buddy who's on the blacklist is writing for him as his ghost essentially. And he's trying to discover what happened in this murder that killed a female actress he was close to. And it's the kind of story – I can't wait for – I hope they do a, a deluxe edition because I want to read it again from start to finish because there's so many layers to this. And it's, it's just another example of why pound for pound, just consistently, Ed Brubaker, one of the top writers in the medium – for easily at least the last 10 years. Uh, so the fade out uh, is highest recommendation. Uh, let's see. And Danny's choice uh, was uh, uh, Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. Again, from which right. uh, the, uh, uh, her nominee for uh, Best Hero of the Year was taken. So, And as to the listeners, uh, Secret Wars. Okay. Enough said. And that was determined by one vote that was cast right under the wire. <gasps> so wow. if you voted on Friday and uh, you voted for Secret Wars, you determined this election. <laughs> now, did uh, did you guys both finish Secret Wars? No. Uh, well, you know what happened. Right? I, 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 I looked at the final issues. Okay, I, Shane, are you going to read it? I will, but you can, you can talk no, about no, it. No, no, I'd like to still discuss it when you've okay. read it because some pretty major stuff happens in that story. Um, 
and I'm interested to hear your, your take on that. Okay. So when you when you finish right. it, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I'm just happy that the Molecule Man was so prominently oh, he was featured. God, in major the whole player. Thing. Yeah. Owen Reese died for our sins. <laughs> Lovely. Um, uh, runner up there was actually the fade out. So it was oh, very terrific. nearly a two way tie, but the fade out is on the ballot now anyway. So okay. it's, it's something of a moot point. Um, so yeah, the, the listeners apparently chose to define that as a, a limited series as okay. well. You know, I don't. It wasn't really planned that way. I think it was kind of an open ended series, and uh, Brubaker and Phillips just decided it somewhat abruptly that it had reached its open end. Well, it, it worked. I'm glad. That, I'm glad they made it finite. Yeah, and a couple of uh, runners up also. Uh, we stand on guard. Got a few votes, and another valiant offering. Uh, the Book of Death. Okay, and. That brings us to the best cliffhanger or moment category. Uh, Chris, it is your turn to open. Okay. Uh, from the new – again, we go back to one of the top titles of the year, the new Star Wars series. And I just double-checked the issue number, Shane. Star Wars number okay. six, Boba Fett informs Darth Vader about the identity of Luke Skywalker. Because early in the series, Luke and Boba Fett actually tussle. It's a fantastic yeah. uh, confrontation. Sure, yeah, it sure is. On, I think it's on Tatooine, isn't it? Yeah, it's I in Ben's it's old Tatooine. house. Yeah. yeah. And um, you just – this scene gave me chills because Vader has his back to Boba Fett, and Boba Fett's like giving him a report on, on what happened. And I'll actually read because I have it up on the screen. Did you bring me anything of value, bounty hunter? Not much, just his name. Skywalker. And Vader doesn't move, and then he just whispers, Skywalker. And then you see him. He's looking out the window of the Star Destroyer. He's clenching his fists, and the, the window that he's looking out all starts to crack because of his rage and just his, you know, shock. It is riveting. Because in the movies, you never really see that moment where he realizes – Yeah. Because yeah. when Empire Strikes Back starts, he knows he that already knows yeah. that's his son. So and he gets a glimmer of it at the end yeah. of A New Hope. Yeah, Force is strong with that one, yeah. but with this one, but um, it's it's that scene like you've always wanted to see, and, and they give it to you, and it's 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 simple, but it's powerful. Oh yeah. So that that's my uh, my moment of the year. Uh, Chris, I would like to ask you to do a little further delving into that uh, digital comic you have there. Uh, are you looking oh at sure, um, I'm looking at. I have the page up. That that. What would you like me to talk about? Uh, well, I just uh, well, well, as I'm uh, re revealing my nomination and and also Danny's. Uh, could you look a little further to see if there's at any point in that issue uh, where Vader says the words "I have a son"? That might actually be in the Darth Vader comic. All right, because so they they also, which was also great, they also. Explore the revelation on that issue as well. I just don't have that in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's where that happens. Okay. If, if I'm wrong, someone will correct me. But. No. Thank you, Chris. That that does answer my question because it will clear something up for when we get to the listener's nomination for this category. Okay. All right. So my own choice for best cliffhanger or moment, um, a few different things I, I could have done here. One of them was uh, the scene from Darth Vader number one, speaking of Star Wars, when he's uh, standing before Jabba the Hutt's throne in his palace. Oh, because that was a that total, was a great, great scene. Total geek out moment for yeah. me. Something I dreamed of when I was a kid playing with the action figures. Um, but I decided instead to use this category to express my love for Grant Morrison's multiversity. Because, you know, that uh, seems <laughs> to have uh, gotten 
Now, much of it's uh, it's due from uh, the, the listenership and the voters uh, last year when it was new, um, but it was still going on this year, and uh, I want to acknowledge it because there was one creepy and fascinating moment that occurred in a comic that, if we've still had a best single issue or one shot category in this uh, in this contest, this awards process. Um, I would probably have nominated for that category. Um, it was the Multiversity Guidebook, one of several Multiversity one-shots. I'm not surprised you chose that. Excellent. Yes, yes. Well, it, it's terrific. The story – and it actually – it did have a story. It wasn't just a bunch of uh, fact sheets, although there was certainly some of that too. The fact sheets were incorporated organically and cleverly into the flow of the narrative. The whole story was called Maps and Legends, which is just beautiful. It, it, it's, it's Morrisonian and it's, <laughs> me, it's metatextual and it, uh, it's a love letter to fans of handbooks like such, yeah, as, yeah. such as just about everybody here for that matter. Indeed. That's right. And uh, so that – that issue ended up, though, with a tease of the big bad for this entire story, um, who is kind of a – well, we all remember the image of the uh, the giant cosmic hand rising up out of the primordial morass uh, with uh, the swirling cosmic vapors of a nascent universe in its palm. <laughs> the image seen by Krona, the renegade guardian, when he looked back to the beginning of time yeah. and triggered the cataclysm that created the multiverse. Uh, well, we're introduced to the owner – of a different kind of outstretched cosmic hand, but the hand has nothing in it. So if that other hand was the hand of God, the hand of uh, Genesis, the hand of cosmic creation, and uh, you know the, the, the cultivation of uh, of being and imagination, you know the the ultimate storyteller, uh, this hand belonged to someone who's more interested in ending stories, or someone who's you well. Know, Interest in stories and in well, the existence of a universe like the DC universe is less benign, and he is uh, recruiting followers. Uh, he actually uh, th- th- there's a bunch of uh, adorable little like chibi versions of DC heroes on this one parallel Earth, which is basically the little Gotham Earth. Remember that series? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, they're right in the thick of what's happening in the second act of, of Multiversity, basically, okay. and uh, they are all brought instantly under this mysterious cosmic being's thrall. They, they go all children of a um, children of the corns. Suddenly, they're, they're, <laughs> their eyes turn white. They 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 stiffen, and they're, they're, their posture becomes straight and rigid. And uh, and they utter in unison, "Empty is thy hand." As we see this giant, empty cosmic hand appearing, so he seems to be the embodiment of uh, well, continuity reboots for the wrong reasons, if you will. <laughs> Which is certainly a topical, yeah. <laughs> a bit of symbolism there. So yes, that empty is thy hand. I choose that as the best cliffhanger or moment of the year. It, it had me. Thinking and reeling, and uh, you know, composing little uh, mini monographs on uh, what this might mean uh, for for the future of the DC universe and for the metatextual symbolism of superhero crisis events uh, for days afterwards. So yeah, that's my nominee for that. Uh, and Danny, uh, for her best cliffhanger moment of the year, uh, she nominates Sex Criminals number thirteen, in which we're introduced to a new character named Alex. Oh, that's a great choice. And, well yes, done, number one. Mm-hmm. Alex is um, – uh, well, she Alex is asexual, uh, She, uh, which is not to say that she's uh, got no genitalia. It just simply means that she's made the conscious choice not to engage in sexual activity, You know what, what we used to call celibacy. But apparently asexuality is more the, the, the buzzword of the day. And uh, Danny uh, remarks, asexuality is not something a lot of people talk about, so I thought it was an important moment, the introduction of this character. Sex Criminals is an incredibly sex-positive book, and I like that they are touching upon different facets of sexuality. So yeah, that, I, I second – I'm sorry, Murray. Go ahead. No, no. that's, that's I second that sentiment. I mean Sex Criminals – that's why this is such 
so delightfully difficult to do this because that's another one of the best comics on the stands today. And I just couldn't fit all these books in because there's so many books right now that are so worth reading. Hmm. Um, so good choice by Danielle. Yep, we, we, we'll have some diversity on this ballot yet. Yeah. Um, and as for the listeners, um, yeah, the reason I asked you whether or not there was a moment in Star Wars number six in which Vader said, I have a son, is because um, uh, the apparent winner or one of the two winners, it was a two-way tie. Of the listeners' nomination was a moment in uh, Darth Vader number six. Just making sure that the listeners didn't get yeah, the they, wires they, crossed. No, it makes sense because those stories were synced up. Yeah. So yeah, they were probably uh, leading out of that moment that you yeah. nominated. So there is a moment in Darth Vader number six in which Vader muses that he he has a son and uh, he intends to make this son his and uh, just make everything his. Yeah. So that that's uh, one of the two things that uh, got uh, the. Greatest number of nominations from the listeners. And the other one is a moment from Squadron Supreme number one in which uh, uh, Namor the Submariner is executed by members of the squadron. That's probably a spoiler for some people. I haven't read that yet, but that's all right. Chop his head clean off, Chris. Wow. (laughs) Now, wait. The 616 Namor? Yeah. That one. So he's dead. Yeah. Well, for the moment anyway. Okay. Right? These things <laughs> never seem to stick. Yeah. Uh, this is the Marvel Universe after all. But well, yeah, Marvel kills one of its oldest characters. Yep. Yeah, they for send the moment, uh, these like you said. refugees of different uh, Marvel uni- – well, parallel universes mm-hmm. that were destroyed during the incursions. Namor had a hand in that, you see. And so they oh, yeah. chose to blame him for the deaths of their respective worlds, and they carry out the execution in the very first issue of their new ongoing okay. series. That's in my pile somewhere, so I look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was indeed a, a shocking moment. Didn't expect to see that happen quite so soon in the series, but mm. there it was on paper. Um, okay, which brings us up to uh, the best storyline. This is a story either running within a single series or a crossover type thing going between series. Um, let's see. I've already forgotten whose turn it is to go first. It might be Danny's turn. Uh, Skruga, yes, I think it is. Uh, she uh, cheated a little bit, and uh, she nominated a – it's a self-contained storyline. It's a, a one-shot. It's another one of the uh, uh, spinoffs of the Secret Wars event. Uh, it's Hank Johnson, Agent of Hydra. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> yes. That was, that's a great choice. <laughs> it was written that's by really... uh, David Mandel of Seinfeld, actually. Very good. Very good issue. Uh, yeah, she says, technically it was only one issue, so I'm not sure if it counts, but the issue was so incredibly funny that it needed some love. Well, Danny, as Pants would say if he were here, this is our hill and these are our beans. <laughs> so I guess it counts if we want it to count. Sure. So, and yeah, I, I, like will, quote naked, count. I could start quoting Naked Gun now all night. I won't, but <laughs> God, Leslie Nielsen was brilliant. Okay, so that is uh, Danny's country heard from. Um, for myself... I decided to go with a, a storyline that uh, has been very interesting to me from the start. Uh, if uh, I've been a little bit wary about its direction, uh, the Dark Side War from the Justice League title, as written by Yay. Jeff. Johns. I'm really getting into that. I'm, I'm only at the beginning, but I'm really enjoying Great. it. I'm yeah. enjoying that story thoroughly. Mm. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, Shane. So I'm getting to represent your taste a little bit here. Yeah. Well, there's been a few Star Wars nominations. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Oh, they're great too. Absolutely. But yeah, Dark Side Wars. It's really. Um, Really thrilling me. I love when I find a new issue that I haven't read yet because I big stack of books and mm-hmm. I'm going, oh, new one yeah. I didn't read. And there have been a bunch of tie-ins. Yes, and I missed all them, so I have to. I I have 
watches out there on eBay and, and different websites to try and gather the six of them I think there are to read those. I, I somehow missed ordering them. but well, Maybe Pants and I can help track them down in Charlotte later okay. on. Yeah. But yes, it's, 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 the story boils down to dark side versus the anti-monitor. There, there's a, a bunch of other things going on on the side. Yes, Batman climbs into Metron's Mobius chair. We learn that uh, the Mobius who built the chair is actually the anti-monitor in a past life, so to yeah. speak. Uh, the uh, crime syndicate of Earth-3 gets into the act at one point. Justice Leaguers assuming the divine aspects of uh, new gods of new Genesis – um, yeah, lots of uh, cool, interesting DC Universe texture plotty things happening, yeah. but uh, and John still finds room for a, a lot of character moments. So yeah, if you're a fan of, 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 of like widescreen DC Universe stories, uh, yeah, th- this is going to be a good one for you. And just the fact that the Anti Monitor is involved should be enough for anyone who knows anything about my tastes <laughs> to know why I would choose to nominate this particular arc. Yep. So yeah, Dark Side War. Right, for me, I chose from the. Uh Image series Lazarus, the arc Poison. Um, I'm going to be speaking more about Lazarus shortly. All I'll say for this is that, again, this is this is Greg Rucka and Michael Lark's masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. Uh, again, we've, I've talked about this title many times in there in the past. Uh, just quickly, this is a, a, a future dystopian Earth where – and we're kind of getting to this point already anyway – where basically corporations control the planet and countries have – all dissolved, and now different corporate families claim different uh, regions of the earth. And the book is about, and, and the book is about each family has a Lazarus, which is like a enhanced human who is like their enforcer, an assassin. Um, and the the book focuses on the Carlisle family and their Lazarus, who is one of the daughters of of the patriarch of the family. And it's you know this particular storyline, they're engaged in a war with other uh, corporate families over various uh, territory. It's just a fascinating. Th- this poison arc is a fascinating take on corporate intrigue in a dystopian world, and not only between the families but within the families themselves. Uh, Michael Lark is, as far as I'm concerned, is doing the greatest art of his career. I mean, it, and that's saying something. It is breathtaking visuals. Uh, and and Rucka is just the master of creating a just a compelling uh, uh, political intrigue in his stories, and I'm and and this 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 saga because it involves both the political intrigue within the families and between them, but also it's an actual war as well. It's it was for me it was the, it was the most dynamic storyline of 2015, and sort of a, a consummation of why. Lazarus will be another selection of mine in a few categories down the road. <laughs> ah, yeah. Poison did get uh, nominations from one or two of the oh, listeners, too. Uh, but uh, the, the winner, again, well, actually, it's a, two, uh, a two-way tie, again, from the listeners. Um, one of them is Secret Wars, so it's getting nominated as both mm-hmm. limited series and also storyline, since it did you know, cross over into so many different titles this year. It's yeah. kind of deservedly so. Sure. Uh, but the other thing the listeners uh, chose to nominate is the Vader Down story. Oh, that's great. Oh, nice. Crossing Excellent. over between that's Star a good Wars one too. books. Did that end in 2015? It didn't need to end in Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, only... I wasn't being picky. I just wasn't sure. Uh, that was, that was, I was thinking of that one too as a possible choice. That was excellent. Yep. Vader versus pretty much the entire Rebel Army. I mean, it's... <laughs> and yeah. he kills them all. <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> – I mean, what's great about that story is they really show you in so many different ways how power, like he is a Sith Lord, how powerful he is, mm. and how 
with just his lightsaber and the Force, he's yeah. very difficult yeah. to defeat. Helps to so. wash some of the stink of the prequels off of him, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a great story. <laughs> Highest recommendation. <laughs> All right. Uh, next category up then is the best sleeper or surprise hit of 2015. Um, let's see if it was Danny's turn this time. I guess it's my turn now. Um, okay, so... All uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my original choice for uh, best sleeper was taken by Danny, as we'll see shortly. So I uh, went with uh, a runner-up, and that's kind of a late entry: "The Vision," as written by Which our. I'm really looking top forward to Tom reading. King. I haven't read it. Excellent. Yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. It is. It, I mean, I don't. I don't want to say surprisingly good because we know how talented Tom yes. is, mm-hmm. but yep. it's. Uh, the concept is surprisingly solid. It's, uh, it's about the Vision and uh, a group of synthesoids whom he has created to be his little ideal suburban family, conducting a little private experiment in adaptation to humanity by uh, moving down to a Washington, D.C. suburb so that the Vision can be closer to his work, which is being the uh, liaison of the Avengers to the U.S. government. Meanwhile, his children are going to, you know, they've been programmed to be a roughly high school age, so they're attending high school together. His wife is keeping house and uh, the vision is going to work every day and it's, it's, it's this delightfully absurd uh, warped uh, uh, Philip K. Dick portrayal of, of, of suburban life and uh, Tom is, is just pitch perfect in his, his writing of this thing the dialogue is tremendous I mean the, the, the synth, these robotic characters have a real personality to themselves I mean it's, 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 it's sort of flat personalities but yet each character is sort of distinct and the conversations they have among themselves are a delight to read uh, there are guest appearances by a couple of notable uh, Marvel Universe characters little nods to Marvel history here and there uh, like there's a, a wedding gift from the Silver Surfer is on display in uh, the Vision's happy home. Uh, so yeah, the notion of family and, and of course family has been kind of a theme with uh, the Vision with his connections sure. to Wonder Man and such. And so that this is not lost on Tom either. It's it is a, a, a great read, and uh, I think it's kind of taken a bunch of people by surprise how good it is. And so I, I thought, why not make it the uh, my nod for uh, sleeper surprise hit of the year? Considering yeah, Tom's nice. skill, I'm not surprised that that's good, and I will make a point of reading it this weekend because I have the, all the recent issues on my nightstand. So Nice. I guarantee you you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right. For me, this was this was why I think my biggest reading delight of the year. James Robinson, Greg Hinkle, Airboy. And this comic moved me. It was deeply poignant. I thought it also made me laugh out loud numerous times. Um, Just in short, in case some listeners aren't familiar with it, James Robinson, who I think we all can agree has had some ups and downs in his career since Starman. I think he would agree with that Which he clearly addresses in this book. He sure does. He – basically this story is – it's got to be autobiographical to some degree. Um, He – He's 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 image is going to hire him to do a book on the golden age character Airboy because he's in public domain, and it's all about Robinson struggling with can he even read this write this story excuse me especially because he's um dealing with you know his his marriage is broken up and uh, I mean this book is painfully yeah honest very and, much so. And he's, you know, he's he's struggling with, like he talks about how he feels he phoned it in at DC with some of the books he was doing, and then and Hinkle is an up and coming artist who joins him, and then they go on this debauched bender, trippy, 
Um, they consume every conceivable drug you can possibly imagine in a very short period of time, and somehow they end up in Airboy's world where he is real, and they're in his world. First he comes into their world, and then they come and go into his, and they're, they're like sort of helping him in his mission against the, the, the Nazis. Um, and it, it, ultimately the book is about you know a writer and a human being sort of finding themselves again. And you know, sort of reasserting their their place. And also, this book has probably the most hilariously terrifying sex scene I've ever seen rendered in any medium anywhere. Um, That's true. It, it's they just listed the hardcover. I ordered it from my library. I, I I thought this was a magnificent story, and and it was. I wasn't sure what to expect when I read the solicitation, and boy, did it exceed all my expectations. So that's my sleeper. Yes, I know you've been gaga over that yeah. book for months now. <laughs> yes, and it, it, it was you know, a satisfying read. Just its, its rawness, its honesty. He, he did put a lot of himself on the page. It, it sure seems like he did, yeah. yeah. And it was also cool to see some gold, actual Golden Age characters getting into the act, mm-hmm. too, albeit you know, appropriately skewed. <laughs> it must have been cathartic for Robinson to just be able to do that to Golden Age characters in addition to bearing so much of his own soul. Um, let's see. I think we are now due to learn Danny's choice. Um, okay, here we go. Um, and her best sleeper and surprise hit, as I said, uh, this was my original choice, but I was happy to allow her to nominate it instead. Uh, unbeatable squirrel girl <laughs> in parenthesis, definitely a theme here. Yep, <laughs> really a, a breath Nothing of fresh air on the comic shelves. And it's it's been pretty influential too because uh, you can see Marvel's released a few other books since then that have been sort of aping it in, in terms of tone. If you've seen Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, that's pretty close. So, yeah, that's most deserving of a place on this ballot. As to the listeners, clear winner there was Jason Aaron's Doctor Strange. Oh, that's a good, good choice. Book. I read the first two issues of that. I love it. So that is going to be their nominee for that category. Um, and so uh, the only other thing that came close to it was the Superman Lois and Clark title. Got That's us up a too. couple of votes. I wish that would have been an ongoing. And beyond that, it's, yeah, I, I kind of thought it was, but yeah, I, I just, just learned recently it's going to end at what, number seven? Seven or eight. Yeah. But at least we'll see uh, New 52 Superman and pre-Flashpoint Superman yeah. meet at some point. That will be interesting. I think it's going to be uh, – Gene uh, Wen Yang that's going to write that. Okay. Um, so then, uh, that brings us to best ongoing comic of the year, uh, an ongoing series that uh, may or may not have begun publication in uh, 2015. Uh, Chris, would you like to open for us? Lazarus. Um, Greg Rucka, Michael Lark, Image. The past two years I've chosen Saga, which is still, and as you'll see in, in sub- subsequent categories, is still one of my all-time favorite comics being produced right now. Um, but... What Rucka and Lark have done in this book, first of all, the world building. I mean, when you read it, when you, we talk about comics being too expensive, boy, do you get your money's worth with an issue of Lazarus because every letters page contains in the margins a whole essay on one of the corporate families and how they came to be, how they built their power base, um, their, their interactions with the other corporate families. So Rucka is building this whole world in, in, the, in, the, in the back pages of the comic, and then the, the, main, the, the actual – you know the main comic story is again about this into- this the corporate family and how forever Carlyle, who is the Lazarus of this family, who is a, a, a you know like a genetically enhanced human being, 
the book focuses on not only her service to her, her family, but also as she tries to discover the truth about her own background and origin. And it's just – it's such a well-thought-out, captivating take on a dystopian future where corporate families have just – all the, the, the facade of, of government, and that's all gone. These families rule the earth, and they've all carved out you know kingdoms out of different regions of the earth. And the book's been uh, – I forgot how many issues there have been now. It's been on, out for at least a couple of years, um, and it, they just – it does not let up. Like they continue to build – the intrigue and the drama and the tragedy because they also focus on how everyday people are – how they're used as pawns and affected by the machinations and, and the agendas of, of the corporate families. And uh, Mike, Michael Lark, this, this is the greatest – I think it's the greatest work of his career. I mean his, his, his art style is so brilliant in this book and the, the mood he creates, the, how he uses snowfall uh, as, as an effect in, in, in the imagery – um, his combat scenes are amazing I mean, the way he draws because the Lazarus all you, a lot of them use swords there's a lot of hand-to-hand -hand fighting and I've rarely seen hand-to-hand -hand fighting so beautifully rendered in a comic as when Lark the work Lark is doing uh, on Lazarus when they fight is it very Highlander-ish? no it's in, just brutal just brutal it's just brutal it, it's not it's not it's I would I would equate it with if two highly trained warriors were actually fighting in real life like this is what it would look like. It's not – and I, I just watched Highlander again. I loved that film. But um, it's – for me right now, this is this is the best comic out today. It, it's, it's phenomenal. Lazarus for me. Um, and uh, Danny's choice uh, was Bitch Planet by Kelly Sudakonic. She says, if you aren't reading the book, you need to be. <laughs> and they, they just did an affordable $1 uh, reprint of the first issue, Image Comics did. So it's uh, – uh, from what I know of the premise, it's about uh, an entire – it's like a dystopian future world in which uh, institutionalized – institutional sexism is back on the planet Earth in a big way. And uh, there's now an entire alien world that's been set aside as a penitentiary uh, strictly for difficult women <laughs> who refuse to fit into the role that uh, society prescribes for them. So it's a whole planet where uh, bitches are sent for rehabilitation. So and and eventually the inmates do, of course, take over the asylum a little bit. And so that's the that's the premise. And uh, Kelly Sudakonic has uh, sort of made a name for herself as uh, for writing you know, really smart, unconventional takes on female characters. And uh, so that's her <laughs> her kind of grindhouse prison drama. Uh, in outer space. <laughs> so that is uh, Danny's choice for best series of the year, not necessarily beginning in 2015. Uh, now, the listeners, this was kind of a horse race for them. This is hmm. uh, uh, There were two series that became pretty clear standouts, and it was neck and neck between them. It's one of the closest races of any category. And uh, uh, Lazarus uh, was uh, the uh, close runner-up. Okay. Yeah, so... You know, it, it's a good thing that it's thanks to you on the ballot anyway. Mm -hmm. But the winner, would you care to take a guess? Oh, it's Saga. It is. Of course, as, as it should be. <laughs> the I mean, saga heads come out again. It's, <laughs> it's, I, think this, I think this is like the third or fourth year in a row yeah. that it's taken and the listener's nomination for that That's completely category. justified in my eyes. All right. So now that that has been established um, – oh, wait a minute. Did I – did I mention – oh, I didn't mention my nomination. <laughs> <laughs> Minor detail there. Um, yeah, I went around in my head about this a little bit. Um, 
uh, I, I wanted – I probably would have just ended up nominating The Silver Surfer a second time because that book is still as good as it's ever yeah, absolutely. been. Absolutely. And you know, Dan Slott and Mike Allred have continued to fascinate uh, this year. Um, but in the end, I went with something a little, a little different. Um, I chose the S.H.I.E.L.D. series, which uh, just barely missed having its first issue come out this year. In which case I would have nominated it as Best New Comic probably. But um, it lasted only 12 issues, but it was written by the redoubtable Mark Wade <laughs> and a string, like a revolving door of, uh, of really top comic art talent. Like each issue had a different art team. As Mark – it was self-contained stories for the most part with a little like the threads of subplot uh, connecting them. It was Mark Wade writing uh, Agent Coulson and other characters from the Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show mixed in sort of indiscriminately with uh, existing Marvel Comics Universe characters, definitely set in the Marvel Comics Universe, helping to introduce these uh, TV characters to said universe in a way that will be satisfying for fans of both the TV series and – the Marvel Universe as we've known it for years and as Mark Wade knows it better than most. Um, so we've got some really fun, colorful stories involving you know, well-established Marvel concepts. Plus you've got Belinda May and you've got uh, Coulson and such. And the, the, Simmons. Yes. The first, the, the first issue with Coulson it sort of showed us some flashbacks from Coulson's history, how he uh, survived being kept in a a dungeon someplace by reciting to himself every known member of the X-Men in the order they joined. <laughs> that was a great issue. <laughs> <laughs> he is a great uh, super fan tra- fiction suit, th- yeah. thanks to Wade. And so he – yeah, that, that, that's just – I know there were some people who never quite got on board with that series. Marvel didn't exactly go out of their way to promote it since I guess they thought it was – in their eyes, it wasn't much more than a – a licensed comic, a tie-in, but uh, Mark Wade did some great things with it, and it was very entertaining, and it's a, it's a great crossover between two you know, beachheads of Marvel, uh, the entertainment empire that they're building, and it's probably the best tie-in comic of the past several years, if you even want to classify it that yeah, way. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, so yeah, that it, it, it was it was good Marvel comics and just good comics in general. So I yeah, I decided I'd uh, give that a nod here. I think I read the first three issues and I I got it for a long while and, and haven't gotten back to read it. But that first issue especially was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's a finite number of issues to collect. So yeah, they, they've already relaunched it. Uh, they're they're still using those characters, but it's a different creative team. It's a different feel. Yeah, so certainly nah. not quite as good. But yeah, so that's uh, I'm I'm putting that on on the docket. Uh, okay, which brings us to best graphic album of the year. Um, yeah, I think it's my turn to go first here. Uh, we we've already put our heads together and determined it's going to be kind of a, a narrow race here yes. for, the, for this category. Um, let me just throw my nominee out there to start with. I don't think any of us have really read that many. Best graphic album, that encompasses either collections, like trade paperbacks, collections of older material, or original graphic novels. So, But in spirit, it usually ends up being a graphic novel, just in fact, in practice. And I nominated Thanos, the Infinity Relativity. Good choice, Mark. Yes. Well, well, thank you, Chris. It was it's thanks to you that I was able to experience this story. <laughs> yeah. So this is an offering from writer artist Jim Starlin, and it's uh, the latest in a new series of uh, Thanos and Adam Warlock Infinity stories. It's a follow up to uh, another chapter that was published last year, also as a hardcover. Uh, uh, original graphic novel, and uh, it, the, the, the relativity builds on that story. Uh, the, we saw 
uh, a new Adam Warlock appear on the scene, who we learn is actually an alternate reality Adam Warlock, who has become sort of the – he's less that reality's Adam Warlock as it is that entire alternate universe imploded and collapsed down and put into human form with Adam Warlock's hmm. mentality, his, his mind grafted onto it. So he's kind of a human reality now. He's got tremendous potential power. He's kind of like a – he's like a beyonder sort of. He, hasn't, he has no idea how to tap into this power yet. He's only as powerful as he understands and believes himself to be. So there's a pretty strong ooh-wow man factor going on there for, <laughs> for you know, head-tripping power fantasists, uh, which is exactly what I was in junior high when I first uh, stumbled onto Mr. Starlin's work. So – it's a good Thanos story. It's uh, it's tr- breaking new ground for Adam Warlock, and it's establishing that this Adam Warlock that Starlin's working with is kind of an alternative to the uh, Earth-616 mainstream Marvel Adam Warlock, whose status is unknown, possibly dead, I believe. But at least this way, Starlin – it's a pretty smart of Starlin because now he has this version of Adam Warlock with which he can do what he pleases <laughs> without uh, stepping on any toes for any other writers or editors who might have plans for – Adam Warlock of the main Marvel Universe. And we get to see members of the old Infinity Watch who are now members of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Gladiator of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard shows up. Uh, Annihilus and Blastar of the Negative Zone are, are sort of the big bads here. And Annihilus has had a major power upgrade, uh, courtesy of the Thanos versus the Hulk miniseries that Starlin did last year also. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good cosmic trip. Uh, he's, uh, his artwork, Starlin's artwork, is still looking great with help from inker Andy Smith. Um, and yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I was left a little bit cold by last year's Thanos uh, original graphic novel, but this one ramps things up a little bit, and it ends with a pretty cool cliffhanger. This is kind of the Empire Strikes Back of this uh, new uh, uh, series of graphic novels, and pretty soon we will see the miniseries, uh, the Infinity Entity, which we will be talking about as an off the rack pick, which will, right. leads out of that, and I guess into the Infinity Finale, which will be the end of this particular Infinity Cycle. So, yeah, there's just throwing a little bit of Marvel Cosmic onto the ballot there. Thanos, the Infinity Relativity. All right. Uh, for me, the, uh, the Private Eye, Brian K. Vaughn, uh, Marcos Martin. Uh, this is originally a, a webcomic that our our friend and listener, Eric Nolan Weatherington, made us aware of. And I read they released, released it as an original graphic novel in a beautiful sort of widescreen cinematic format. Uh, this is another example of why I think Vaughn is is the if I had to pick is the best writer in comics today. Uh, he takes a concept that I think will be very near and dear to Murd's heart when he reads it. Uh, essentially, everybody's private information on the internet has been exposed to the public, so people are wearing. Everybody's taken on sort of like these mask personas in public. Everybody wears masks because all of their dirty laundry has been aired for the whole world to see. Uh, with with sort of the explosion of the internet. And people are now using like old phones uh, and you know, technology has almost kind of regressed in a way because of what's happened. And you know, the story follows this private eye and, and his adventures in this new world. And, what he, and, and I, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, you know, the mystery gets caught up in. But it's, it's, it's more than just a great mystery story. It's, it's Vaughn commenting on the place of technology in our lives, especially digital technology, and then – you know, turns all that on its head, and, and what could happen if that all turns against us eventually? And uh, it's—I I, I read it in one sitting; I could not put it down. Uh, it, it was so thrilling. 
I love the concept. Murd, you've got to read this book. It was written for you, essentially. And uh, Marcus Martina, he's a great – everything that guy's done, I have just devoured. I love his artwork. I love his style. Uh, and, and as a presentation, this is a beautiful original graphic novel, just the physical book itself. And at a time where physical books are sort of slowly fading away, it was wonderful to get such a beautifully designed uh, edition. So that's my choice as uh, best uh, graphic album or OGN of the year. And as luck would have it, uh, <laughs> when Danny submitted her list of nominees, uh, she writes, I didn't have one. So Bill is nominating Private Eye by Brian K. Vaughan, Marcos Martin, and Munza Vicente. He yelled at me for not reading it. You would love it, Daniel. You should read it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we probably all should read yeah. it then. It cracks me up. Always on the lookout for future uh, book of the month picks. So I started. That's... I started my list. There's stuff you guys talk about. Okay, good. And uh, wouldn't you know it? The listeners were also on that page. Uh, that, that's the good news that there's uh, so much consensus there. The bad news is that nothing else, literally nothing else, the listeners nominated uh, for best uh, graphic album got more than one vote. Wow. So it said that that was the only thing, literally the only thing that got more than one vote. So Private Eye's winner by default then. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a field of two there, Thanos, huh. the Infinity Relativity, uh, or the Private Eye. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Takes your chance. Uh, so, yeah, the only other option is to just dump, you know, a couple dozen different random nominees from the listeners onto the ballot, and that would render the whole thing kind of messy and meaningless. So yeah. there was just going to be two... Uh, nominees there, two candidates for the role of best graphic album of 2015. Um, okay, now we come around to best writer. Uh, I think it's Danny's turn to go first. Even if it isn't, I'm going to say that it is. Uh, and her choice is G. Willow Wilson, the writer of the Ms. Marvel series, or series is plural from Marvel because there were that was another one that was relaunched this year in the midst of the whole Secret Wars hoopla. And she just uh, – Danny says, I needed to give Ms. Marvel some love. Uh, that has been a very influential book. I mean I was just talking about how Unbeatable Squirrel Girl was influential and uh, inspired things like Moon Girl and uh, Patsy Walker. But I don't think without Ms. Marvel we would have gotten Unbeatable Squirrel Girl in the first place. So I'm glad that we're giving that title its due as well. G. Willow Wilson is something of a of a trailblazer there. As for myself, this is one of the – literally the only category in which I wrote down only one name. You know, it's not like I couldn't have thought of others, but uh, for me, this was the only good option for me. Mark Wade. I mean, the guy, he's finishing up a universally acclaimed run on Daredevil oh, with Insomni. Uh, he's getting back into self-publishing. He's got that Shield run that I just extolled a few minutes ago. Yeah. He Over at IDW, he brought back his Empire series that which he started awesome. at Guerrilla Comics yeah. ages ago. He started a new thing called Insufferable, which I think is very entertaining, about a Batman and Robin type duo and what happens when the Robin of the team grows up to be a self-absorbed, egomaniacal media whore. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Hence the, yeah, it's it's funny stuff. It's 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 a good joke at its base. But as Mark Wade says in the essay at the end of the first issue, a joke is not a story, and punchlines are not characters. Well, I'm paraphrasing there, but he wanted to make sure that there was enough substance to this story to make it worth reading month to month. And what's that one called? It's called Insufferable, and yeah, believe you me, it's worth your time. It, it, it was 
a six-issue miniseries, but then he immediately jumped to a new arc. So it's kind of like season one and season two, both of okay. which began this year. And then on top of that, he uh, w- w- was a part of uh, relaunching one of the major flagship uh, properties in all of comics, Archie. He and, which has uh, been right. wonderful. And uh, Fiona Staples yep. and the, the new Archie series, which has been attracting a lot of attention from mainstream media. Uh, so, yeah, he's had a heck of a good year, as has Mark Waite. He's written a number of things that I've really enjoyed. So just for sheer quantity, I think I've decided to go with Mark Waite as my own. Quantity and quality. Oh, yes, yeah. that too. All right, for me, no surprise here, Brian K. Vaughan. Saga. We Stand on Guard. Private Eye. Paper Girls. I don't think there's much more I need to say. He, he is – I mean I, I, I mean I often wax rhapsodic about different writers I love you know, ad nauseum. But if I have to hold someone to an even higher tier, it's this man. His work continues to move me like no other, no other writer can to entertain the hell out of me, to make me laugh, to horrify me. Uh, he works with – consistently with some of the greatest artists in the business. Cliff Chang and Paper Girls, Fiona Stables and Saga, Steve Scross on uh, We Stand on Guard, Marcos Martin on Private Eye. Uh, there's just nobody who I just think can just so hit that sweet spot for me when it comes to books I just simply cannot put down. And I, I, I eagerly want to read every single month w- w- when he has an ongoing, such as Saga. Uh, I can't wait to see what he does uh, in you know throughout 2016. Uh, but and this is another example, and I'll go also with Rock with Lazarus, how wonderful it is when creators own their own books because you get work often that is just heads and tails above anything the big two can possibly ever produce. So Brian K. Vaughan for me. And uh, the listeners were in your corner there, Chris, because that was their clear choice as well. Ah. But they also have a clear runner-up, and so that will be their nominee, and that's Jonathan Hickman. Good choice. Yep. Major architect of uh, Marvel's uh, Secret Wars miniseries this year. All right. And so from writer, we proceed to best artist. Um, so let's see. If it was Danny first last time, I guess it's my turn to be first this time. Um, yeah, a few possibilities here. Uh, but uh, largely for the sake of the Silver Surfer and my desire to represent them in these proceedings um, – Great book. I went with Mike Allred because uh, his visuals on that continue to be trippy and eye-popping and perfect for a lighthearted cosmic romp, which is what this book really is. It's, it never gets you know, too, too heavy uh, or um, – well, uh, I was about to say skeptic, but I'll just amend that to navel-gazing to make sure people <laughs> <laughs> have some idea what I'm talking about. It doesn't get too self-absorbed in the cosmic philosophy. It doesn't get too broody. At any point. It, Anytime, anywhere. Hang, hang on. on. <laughs> it's such a heady trip. It's so Yes, fun. it is. And uh, have you read the 11th issue of that series, Chris? I'm up to date on it, yeah. Yes, that's the one where it's, it's, the entire thing is one big uh, Mobius strip. Yes. Like a yeah. lemniscate tw- fate twist of, of story. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it, you got to give a lot of credit to Dan Slott for uh, having the idea to tell a story in that mind-bending format. But uh, – uh, Mike Allred made it happen. It's consistently one of Marvel's best titles since it debuted, in my opinion. Yep. So. And I know Danny would be happy to hear me say that since she loves that book too. She she said a couple of times it's kind of like Doctor Who said in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah she has said that. <laughs> Are you writing that down? Yeah, I did because I read the first few issues, but then I 
let that go, but I want to get the trades and read them through. You you all keep spouting about it, how great it is. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's one of the more creative uh, little takes on the events of Secret Wars actually happened in there. Because, yes, uh, since, absolutely. Uh, the Marvel Universe uh, temporarily ceased to exist. So the Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood uh, sort of take it upon themselves with a little help from uh, Glorian, the disciple. Glorian, that's right. Yes, <laughs> he's an old 70s Marvel character with the ability. He's the, the, the apprentice of the Shaper of Worlds, okay. which is a cosmic cube who's evolved into a humanoid form and goes around bringing fantasies to life, reshaping literally entire planets to his whim. Hmm. And so he's this massive cosmic being, and they were going to use the substance of his body to create a new universe. I just love seeing heavy stuff. Doom merged with eternity. eternity. That was a great, a hell of a great visual too. Yes, it was. Yes, you know, Ditko. Well, if Ditko took very much pride in his past work, he's one <laughs> to look forward. But he might conceivably, in some alternate universe, be proud of, of what Allred did Indeed. with that visual. Plus, on top of that, uh, Allred's been providing the covers for Batman '66 all along. That's yeah, they, just they're fantastic. Yeah, I'm sorry. We won't be seeing any more of them because the yeah. series is over. Um, and he's been doing the, uh, the, the, the ginchy but grotesque graphics for the, uh, the Vertigo series Art Ops. Yes, I haven't read that yet. I have it at home. But. Yeah, I, I hate to say it's, it's not quite as fun as it should be okay. given, given the concept. And that, that's on the writer's uh, – okay. that, 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 that's the writer's fault. Uh, but all, all Red's visuals are one of the main reasons I've stayed with it uh, as long as I have now. But uh, – and plus, you know, it's a great year for him because he got to see a, a comic series that he co-created, iZombie, make it to the small screen. Yeah. So – just uh, uh, sort of pat him on the back and uh, add to his celebration of this uh, productive and successful year. I've made Mike Allred my nominee for Artist of the Year. Chris, who have you got? This is an easy one for me. I chose Salvador LaRocca because since Al Williamson, no one has drawn Darth Vader in a way that I find more compelling and exciting and terrifying. Then is it is it La Roca or La Roca? I always forget. I I think it's La Roca. All right, La Roca. I mean, think about it. You you are taking a character who has no facial emotions. It's armor and a helmet, and yet the way that he renders Vader, there almost is emotion. I go to one scene. It's the Jabba the Hut story, where they're sur- they're on Jabba's sail barge surveying mm-hmm. Tatooine, and Jabba says something like, "I'm paraphrasing," you know. Whatever came out of here or something like that. And then they just have a frame of just Vader kind of looking off to the horizon as, as Jabba is saying this. I, I can't – you know what the skill it takes to create pathos out of an emotionless mask, and he does. It is amazing. And I've often heard from artists that Vader is very difficult to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've read that too. And I don't mean this in, 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 a, in as a slight. He walked out. Out of the movie screen in this book, but not in a boring photo- photogenic way it's 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 stylized, but it is you see the folds of leather you see you know you can almost hear the glove yeah and, and, yeah, and, and the glint of the armor and and the helmet i mean it's scary I mean he really captures just the the dark majesty and grandeur of Darth Vader, and he's been doing it month after month now since that book started. It's the most, the most compelling artwork I think in comics today. It's 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 yeah. It's beautiful. It sure is. Yep. He was one of the, the people I considered uh, nominating as well, Chris. Mm-hmm. If there were a most improved category, absolutely, because he's he's been around quite some time. He so, has, yeah, yeah since uh, mid late nineties, yeah. and so he's 
style has evolved quite a bit in that time. Uh, let's see. As to – oh, yes, Danny. Uh, Danny's nominee for Best Artist is Babs Tar of Batgirl. Uh, the art is refreshing and fun. It is absolutely perfect for the tone of the story. Yeah, that that artwork is nice. I, I've perused a few issues of that. It looks very nice. Yeah. Adding all that uh, stylistic embellishment that she likes to call Babs Jazz. Yeah. So she, she has a, a distinctive style, absolutely. So good choice there on Danny's part. Uh, the listeners uh, once again arrived at a tie. Um, the saga heads made their voices heard and put Fiona Staples on the ballot Only once appropriate. again. And tied with her is the artist for the Secret Wars series, Esad Ribic. Tremendous artist. Tremendous. So there we are. Those are all good, great picks. Slightly inflated slate for that category to make up for the Slim Pickens under graphic album. Uh, now, best writer slash artist of, uh, of 2015. Uh, let me see. Um, okay, well, let, let, let's begin with Danny this time. Uh, she chose, uh, Tom Zoller, who was, uh, actually a, a friend of CGS, so to speak. We've, we've interviewed him, uh, once or twice, and, uh, I've talked to him at a bunch of conventions. Um, he did a series called Love and Capes, uh, which he self-published at first, and, uh, which, uh, then moved over to IDW. And this year he got published, uh, a miniseries called Long Distance, which is based on a, a pitch he once did for a TV series about a it was sort of based on his experience in conducting a long distance relationship with uh, his then girlfriend. And uh, Danny says uh, about Tom Zoller, I love his work on Love and Capes, and I thought Long Distance was a nice follow up to that series. So her nomination is Tom Zoller. Happy to see this. I think this is his first appearance on as a nominee for the CGS Best of Awards. Got her written down there. Um, for myself, I, well, there, there are a few different people I could have nominated here. Um, but I decided, uh, you know, for my own, uh, as a part of my own personal voyage of discovery here as a comics fan, um, I decided to go with a, a person who I don't think even, I'm not sure if the, the work he published this year is 100% new. Uh, but, uh, he's a writer artist who, uh, produced a series called Hip Hop Family Tree. Now, the name of the man is Ed Piscor. Okay, he's a Pittsburgh native. He's collaborated with Harvey Picar on a few things, and uh, this uh, Hip Hop Family Tree is a personal project of his. Uh, the third volume uh, – it started out as a, a series of web comics published at uh, a hip-hop website called boingboing.com, I believe. And uh, then it, he shifted into publishing it through Fantagraphics books as uh, uh, graphic novels and uh, – or well, collections of strips, I guess. And uh, just this year, uh, he's started serializing. There's some serialized reprints in the form of uh, floppies, single-issue comics from Fantagraphics. This is the first monthly series Fantagraphics has ever published. Hmm. Kind of a big deal there. So it's you know, noteworthy for that reason. And uh, I've been introduced to Hip Hop Family Tree through uh, previous uh, – uh, free comic book day offerings. Fantagraphics have put out a few uh, pamphlet-sized issues or collections of uh, hip-hop family tree strips. And um, just that, that there's, a, there's a vivacity and an energy that he brings to this uh, material that uh, you know, the hip-hop genre really deserves. Because it's not just music. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a subculture. It's, you know, there, there's vibrant history here, lots of larger-than-life characters to fill the pages. And you know, the art style that he employs, it, you know, it's... 
it's retro. There's a fondness for old Marvel comics in particular. He uh, pays homage to a lot of uh, classic Marvel images. The back covers of each single issue of Hip Hop Family Tree has a mock-up of the old Marvel Universe trading cards, oh. like Series 1 nice. and Series 2. Uh, featuring famous you know, hip hop artists, rappers of yeah, years yeah. past, and uh, each issue is you know it, it, it's, it's it's engagingly told, it's entertaining. It jumps from story to story, subject to subject. No time to get bored while you're reading this book, and uh, it, it's very well researched, even annotated in some cases. There, there's notes in the back of each issue, and it, it's it's been an enjoyable discovery for me. So uh, you know it's. Now, even if not all of the material is really original or was produced during 2015, it's gained a new following this year. It should be obvious in the fact that I'm actually reading it since I know almost nothing about hip-hop. But um, as long as the history is being told in this fashion, I'm anxious to learn more about it. So I decided I would uh, go a little bit indie here and uh, nominate Ed Piscor for Best Writer-Artist of the Year. And I regret to say I have no choice for that category because I did not read any writer-artist comics this year, so I couldn't make an honest uh, submission. Which does surprise me a little bit, Chris, yeah. but if, it's, if that is the case, that is the case. Indeed. And as for the listeners, um, the winner there was Walt Simonson for uh, his series Ragnarok, published by nice. IDW. And... Uh, Coming close uh, on his heels uh, would be Scotty Young of I Hate Fairyland and uh, Terry Moore for Rachel Rising and SIP Kids. But Walt Simonson is the big winner there. Giant of the medium that he is. Indeed. All right, and now we come to what has been the trickiest category of them all, Best Inker. Chris what do you have for I best I chose inker? Michael Lark for Lazarus. All right. Um, I mean, he pencils and inks the book. And as we know, so, in, in, in so many cases, what the inker contributes to the artwork can be, often be decisive in how much someone can enjoy the artwork on a particular story and you know how much they sort of can realize the intentions of the penciler or even enhance them in some cases, especially if you're working on, on very rough layouts. I mean, Luck, excuse me, Lark is doing the penciling and the inking on Lazarus, and I think I chose him last year too because his art continues to just dazzle me on this book. And the way he, he uses uh, – and this all, credit should also go to the colorist on the book whose name unfortunately I've forgotten. One second. Let me check that. Santi Arcus. Um, it's just – it's a beautiful package, and again, I think – I'm not an artist, so I, don't, I can't give the best uh, – presentation but for me as a reader it's always the inker so much often anchors the art in a book and uh lark is just he's just doing such magnificent justice to his own pencils and uh again this continues to be this is why i chose this as title of the as title of the year just the overall package these are masters working at the top of their game so that's my choice as best inker <sighs> yeah i found this one a little bit difficult myself i mean it's as one listener uh, um, mentioned in uh, – well, instead of nominating someone for Best Inker, he simply put in parentheses, uh, this seems to be a dying art. And uh, that's – it does seem to be the case really. And it's more and more Inker seems to be less a, a separate and distinct profession and more just a, a part of the skill set of, of a comics artist instead of being subsumed under the subheading mm -hmm. of just plain old artist more and more. So I'm thinking this may be actually the last year that we will be – uh, including Best Inker as a category in these awards. Um, so for myself, I uh, 
I thought about nominating uh, Salvador La Roca you know, for, for many of the reasons you mentioned mm. and for why you nominated him as Artist of the Year. Just his own uh, you know, his delineation and, and the, the detail he put into things like the flowing of, of Vader's cloak and so forth. Um, but as it turns out, he'll be on the ballot anyway. So it went a slightly different uh, direction, and I just nominated Steve Scross uh, for, from uh, We Stand Great On Great choice. Guard. Yeah, because we, we talked about how much his artwork has improved since the mid-90s, you know, similar to Salvador La Roca. And I think one of the reasons why I found his artwork occasionally um, not to my taste might have been more that he was victimized by the, vic- uh, the, the inking that was put on top of him. But here he is inking himself, showing a bit of uh, self-improvement, and I, I think that that's possibly key to his, his own evolution as an artist over the past 20 years. So I'll give him credit for that by nominating him as Best Inker. Uh, but as for the listeners, um, this is the category in which I think more voters in this poll than any other simply declined to nominate anybody. Mm. You know, it, was, it was difficult. But we did come up with three people who received the same number of votes, and so all three of them will end up on the ballot. Uh, they are Danny Miki, inker on Batman, uh, Salvador La Roca, and Tyler Boss. These are the listeners' right. three picks. They will stand there alongside Larkin Scross. Uh, Danny, uh, by the way, says that uh, I don't have one. Sorry. <laughs> so there's that. All right. So uh, I think we'll let uh, – I guess it's my turn to go first this time. Uh, best color artist. Yeah, this is always uh, one of my favorite categories since color is such a big part of my enjoyment of comics. Um, but I decided to nominate you know, something some, – another person sort of off the beaten path. I mean this is – he provided the colors for a book that uh, I know Bill and I uh, both uh, enjoy quite a bit, um, Matt Fraction's Odyssey from oh, Image. Oh, it's beautiful. Good choice. Yep. Yeah. Gender-bent sci-fi, psychedelic outer space retelling of Homer's uh, The Odyssey. Um, and so Christian Ward is the artist on that book. And uh, you know, with assists from D. Cuniff, uh, he, you know, he, he is the artist, and uh, he provides all, all these really trippy psychedelic hues uh, that uh, – well, it makes the book the uh, out there, otherworldly reading experience that it is. It, it, it almost induces a sense of nausea in the reader, which is fitting for some of the subject matter and some of the you know, very badly disconcerting and soul-shattering experiences that uh, um, Odysseus and her crew go through as they make their way through outer space. Um, so, yeah, they're very, very bizarre atmospheric coloring and <laughs> – yeah, so uh, I'm. I uh, decided that that would be my choice and a way to give a nod to Odyssey, a book that I don't hear that many people talking about these days as well. So, Christian Ward. My choice was uh, Fiona Staples. Uh, the color palette on Saga is beautiful. It's such an intrinsic part of the story and, and the feel and the atmosphere the book creates. And uh, again, I'm not in no way an authority on coloring, but not only do I revere. Saga as a story, but just to look at it is a beautiful comic. Just every month, just to just to sort of feast on the color palette she chooses uh, for all the you know the just the innovative and imaginative aliens that they're creating and the worlds that they're traveling to, and uh, it's just it's it's a visual feast. Uh, the coloring on Saga, and I, I, it's just another reason why uh, it's it's one of the top comics out today. More love for Fiona Staples. All right. As for the listeners, uh, their choice, (laughs) 
I was very sort of pleased and even a little proud actually when I saw who the listeners chose because you know this is the person that I, I nominated I think last year for color oh, no not not last year maybe the year before that um, uh, I think possibly for work on the Young Avengers series that I liked so much uh, by uh, Kieran Gillen and uh, Jamie McKelvey who are now the creative team on the Wicked and the Divine for Image and uh, the colorist who worked with them on that series is the colorist whom the uh, listeners seem to have chosen as their darling for the year Matt Wilson. So he, he colors The Wicked and the Vine even now. He also has some other more high-profile jobs. Um, he did some work for Marvel on a couple of different series, including The Mighty Thor. And uh, he's the colorist on Paper Girls. Great choice. So his work has come to the listener's attention, but I liked it before he was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. And Jordi Belair was uh, – actually, Matt Wilson actually unseated Jordi Belair as, as the, the listener's darling. Jordi Belair came in second. Uh, Laura Allred was uh, number three for the listeners. On the great choice. And uh, kind of think of it, uh, Laura Allred was uh, Danny's nomination. So Laura Allred will be on the ballot as well. Uh, uh, Danny says her coloring is fantastic over Mike Allred's art. So there we go. Both Allreds are on the ballot this year, albeit in different categories. That will be Danny's choice. Okay. We're on the home stretch here. The last of our... Uh, uh, specialized creator categories, best letterer. This is always a little tricky. Uh, Chris, who do you have for best letterer? I chose letterer? Fiona Staples again. Again? Uh, now, she doesn't. I don't think she letters all of Saga, but she letters the narrative voice, which is the child who is telling the story uh, to the readers. And the lettering style she's created for the child just so perfectly fits sort of the tone and the voice of that character. It almost has this, sort of this whimsical feel to it. it it's just... It's just it's it's the one of the thing about saga is that when you read this book you're, you're you're not just experiencing the story just the whole visual world she creates as as part of that narrative and the lettering style she creates for 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 the, the child narrator so seamlessly fits in with the, the overall tone of the book so you know again I'm not an expert in lettering but when I see that lettering and it, it's so per, it's so perfectly evocative of that character's voice that I, I have to give her the nod. All right. And uh, Danny did not have a nominee for a letterer. Um, but I think she'll approve of my choice. Um, I went with Clayton Cowles of uh, Virtual Calligraphy. Um, and he, uh, well, he. He, he, he lettered about half of the Secret Wars miniseries, which is what brought him to some people's attention. I wasn't the only person who nominated him. There were some, some of the listeners noticed him too. Um, he also did the lettering for the aforementioned The Wicked and the Divine and a bunch of other projects as well. But uh, what brought him to my attention was his lettering work on Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, because lettering style, lettering effects are <sighs> – a major part of the quirky humor of that book. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Ryan North has made it sort of a, uh, uh, a trademark of his to include silly little jokes in the margins and gutters of the comic, which need to be lettered very tinily at the, at the bottom in, in, in odd colors. And uh, Clayton Cowles is responsible for that. Also, uh, thought balloons, dialogue balloons, they do strange things in Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. <laughs> and so he gets to use his creati creativity there. And each issue is uh, begun with uh, sort of a, a mock 
I don't know, uh, IM discussion or Twitter feed or something, a uh, social media thing that I don't know the proper name for. Uh, but between Squirrel Girl and um, readers or other Marvel Universe characters, and that, that sort of serves as the recap page for the issue. And uh, one assumes that uh, it, it's Clayton Cowell's responsibility as the uh, letterer to design mm-hmm. all of that. And that's no easy task. So it's largely for his work on Unbeatable Squirrel Girl that I decided that Clayton Cowles is my man for nice. Best Letterer of 2015. And, and the listeners making their voices heard as well. I mentioned that uh, Clayton Cowles got a couple of votes and uh, also Jared K. Fletcher got some votes. Uh, but uh, in a lock for uh, – a, a two-way tie uh, for the listeners' nomination, we've got uh, Joe Caramagna and the evergreen Todd Klein. Ah. Deservedly so. So those are the two listener choices for that category, the penultimate. And finally, um, the uh, the final category here of the 16, uh, the breakthrough talent of 2015. Okay, and I think we're going to let uh, Danny go first with this one. And she says, I'm nominating the team, the entire creative team of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Ryan North, writer, Erica Henderson, artist, Rico Renzi, colorist. The book is adorable, quirky, and fun for all ages. They've really created a book that fits within Marvel, but is welcoming to any new reader, which is not an easy feat. I felt it would be a disservice to only nominate one person on the team because I think the artwork fits together so well with the writing style. So, Team Squirrel Girl is Danny's choice. Which did step on my paws a little bit because I was <laughs> I was going to nominate Erica Henderson myself because she's she has kind of I'd never heard of her before this year and now she's she's uh, writing one of Marvel's most popular series and she's also I mean writing she's drawing one of Marvel's most popular series and she was tapped to uh, draw the Jughead series for Archie oh nice you know so the companion to the uh, Archie relaunch by Wade and Staples yeah. uh, so. Uh, having lost that, I wasn't sure in what direction to go. So, actually, I was inspired then by the fact that uh, uh, Henderson is working on that Jughead book I mentioned. And I thought about, hmm, who's writing that book? It's somebody else who's doing more uh, work in the comics, very mo- visible work in the comics field than he had been a year or so ago. And that is Chip Zdarsky. Ah. Of you know, best known to many as the artist on Sex Criminals, but he's also a writer in his own right. I think he and writing uh, Howard the Duck. Yes, he is. Yeah. He's writing that, and he's writing Jughead, and you know, he's probably, he's got nearly as much input into what goes into Sex Criminals yes, as, as Matt Fraction. Yeah. So, uh, so he's sort Sex of parlayed that and Jughead. <laughs> <laughs> That's two opposite ends of the spectrum. There, yeah. it shows the man's range. Hamburgers, yeah. 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 yeah, hand in hand. I tell you. <laughs> So, yes, he's a funny man, a talented writer and artist, and a lot more people know his name now than used to. So let's say Chip Zdarsky is my choice for Breakthrough Talent of the Year. Very good. What say you, Chris? Greg Hinkle of Airboy. Aha. First of all, any man who can render himself, because he's a a character in the comic, into the most unflattering situations (laughs) possible... And do it with panache and incredible good humor automatically gets my vote. And I, I wasn't familiar with his work before this this series. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way he draws facial expressions, uh, the, the, there's a lot of pathos in Airboy as well. And the people he – the characters he renders, I mean first of all, he can go from a, this gold, this magnificent golden age interpretation of Airboy, the character and his cohorts, to the most sordid – you know. Iniquitous, debauched situations possible 
Um, and he, he portrays both himself and James Robinson in a very unflattering light. Uh, in, in many, I mean, again, the most terrifyingly hysterical sex scene I've ever seen, uh, I think, in any medium. Uh, this guy, from what I saw in this book, he can do it all. He drew World War II combat scenes, you know, scenes of debauchery in bars and, and bathroom stalls, uh, you know, quiet scenes between the two characters. This is a guy to watch because, man, he the range he demonstrated in this book is there's so many different emotions and moods and scenarios he had to capture from the fantastical to the totally absurd, absurd and sordid. <laughs> he did, he nailed it all. So this is an artist I'm going to be looking for everything he's doing going forward. So Greg Henkel is my breakthrough talent of 2015. Yeah. Very yeah, good. Impressed me with his you know, outlandish uh, treatment of human anatomy at times. Yes. And, also, is not a, saying something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah this including book, yeah. his own, <laughs> and and the color work too was really, yes. really, really Stunning. notable. From I've never seen a better use of turquoise. Yes, in comics. Well, put. well put. And the contra the, the the final page. One of the things I thought of nominating for cliffhanger of the year is the final page of that issue when uh, Airboy appears in all his glory, fully colored, yeah. unlike yes. the rest of yeah. that issue. You know, a la the Wizard of MGM's The Wizard of Oz, yeah. and yeah, says, yeah. "Gentlemen, this behavior will not stand." Yeah. <laughs> Ah, yeah, that, that book was a riot. So. I'm glad you gave Hinkle his due there. And uh, The People's Choice for the second year in a row, oddly enough for this category, is Tom King. Ah, nice. Apparently he's broken through twice. And well-deserved. <laughs> yeah, we had a, a mini discussion with Eric Nolan Wethington on the forums as to whether or not this uh, should be allowed. And Of course it should. My answer was, well, there's no rule against it. Mm. And you could always make the case that uh, he's broken through a couple different levels yeah, or sure ceilings has. of success in consecutive yeah. years. So... The people want him. The people got him. Tom King is on the ballot again. Here, here. Excellent. DC exclusive now. Yes. Just recently oh. announced. So we, we won't get more than 12 issues of The Vision, unfortunately, mm. at Marvel. But uh, that means more DC work from him, some Batman work from him. Mm -hmm. We're all looking forward Can't to that. Can't wait. Should be a lot of fun. So there it is. All the nominations have been placed. Um, there will be a complete list of these appearing on a uh, forum near you very soon, and that would be at thecomicforums.vanillaforums.com. Um, so uh, pretty soon uh, we'll be uh, putting out votes uh, of news, and uh, we'll be making an announcement as to how you can vote. Uh, in each of these categories for uh, you know, whichever nominee in each category suits your fancy. Uh, so th this is just the first stage in the best of awards, of course. Uh, the second part is the voting. And uh, you can eventually email those uh, uh, ballots to uh, the same place where you mailed your nominations, bestof at comicgeekspeak.com. Uh, details to follow. We'll give you a few weeks uh, to mull over uh, your choices in each of these 16 categories and help us determine you know, the, the final slate of victors, award winners for the prestigious Comic Geek Speak Best of 2015 Awards. So there's no due date yet for when they should submit their choices? Uh, it, it will be... Uh, uh, it will be announced. Uh, it will yeah, be okay. announced. I'm thinking three weeks from now. Okay, sounds good. It will probably be uh, the, like an 11.59 p.m. Sunday deadline, All right. which was the original deadline for this before the forum problems forced us to uh, well, prolong things. Okay. So just uh, watch for announcements. Very good. We'll probably make another announcement on one of these episodes too. <sighs> well, that was a mouthful. But <laughs> well done. It was great fun though, wasn't it? Well done. Well done, Master of Ceremonies. Gave well me done. a list of two, four, six, eight trade paperbacks to look up. <laughs> Hope those of you listening along at home have been making lists of your own. I have to do better at keeping my list. 
good. That's our evil scheme, just to steal everyone's pocket money by <laughs> recommending all these good comics to read. Yeah, we've never done that before. All right, this episode? All right, this episode of Comic Geek Speak was brought to you by uh, Drawer Boxes, uh, which you may learn more about at uh, collectiondrawer.com. The uh, uh, prolific collector's friend helps you access comics at the bottom of a big pile of boxes with minimum fuss and muss. Collectiondrawer.com, our friend and sponsor and uh, provider of an important service and supply to the collecting community. Very good. All right. Visit us at comicgeekspeak.com to send us an email. The address is comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, the number is 267-702-6642. Stop by the comic forums and be sure to cast your vote when the, uh, oh God, I just froze. The ballot's uh, written up on the forums and email them in the time frame specified by Mr. Professor Murdo. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Thanks to everybody who participated and sent in your nominations. Um, We appreciate it, and we couldn't do the show without you. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time.